0: If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. If you listen to this year' podcast, you've heard us talk about BHA countless times. Um, I'm a big supporter of their mission. They do a ton of great work and i know if you're listening there's a chance that a lot of your hunting is done on public lands and if public lands are important to you you need to join backcountry hunters and anglers they're working to keep your public lands in public hands and protecting access to your favorite hunting spots memberships at bha start at just 25 bucks and if you act now, you'll get a free public landowner t-shirt with your membership. And I am wearing one of these public landowner t-shirts right now under my button-up shirt. Just sign up at backcountryhunters.org meat eater. Um, I'll point out by joining and getting involved with this group, you will be meeting some of the most diehard hunters in this country. Remember, you must visit backcountryhunters.org meat eater one word to take advantage of this offer whereby you get your free public landowner t-shirt along with your 25 dollar membership act now the flagship rewards credit card offers three time points on all travel purchases and two times points on everything else three x the points on travel means getting rewarded while road tripping or even commuting to work. You'll also get other benefits like a statement credit for global entry and TSA pre-check of up to 100 bucks, 24/7 stateside member report, and access to Navy Federal's online shopping center. Check out navyfederal.org for more information and to apply now. Message and data rates may apply. Visit navyfederal.org/slash flagship for more information. This is the Meat Eater podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten and in my case underwearless. The Meat Eater podcast.
1: You can't predict anything.
0: Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play store. Know where you stand with OnX. Okay, we're here with Laura Krantz. Hi. Can I, can I call you a Bigfoot expert? No. You don't like that?
2: Well, I'm not, I know you're not,
0: but I mean, I just wanted to say it.
2: Yeah, you can say it.
0: Because <laughs> it's a teaser. <laughs> we're going to do something else. We're going to do something else before we talk about that. So okay. I thought, if I could say there's a Bigfoot expert.
2: Yeah, I think so there's so people. What, do you, what in do, you the- do you
0: like to go by? Because you're not, I, I know you don't like.
2: I'm a journalist.
0: Yeah, but right. But you've developed a little bit of expertise on, on what Bigfoot means.
2: I, I guess compared to the general population, I've developed some expertise. Compared to the Bigfoot experts, I have a long way to go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who was it? It was Jack Hitt. You know the writer Jack Hitt?
2: The name's familiar, but keep going.
0: Um, he wrote a piece one time talking about how the study of dinosaurs, like dinosaur things, mm-hmm. how he's like incredulous of of dinosaur research in general because he's like, how seriously can you take a discipline where the people that know the most about it tend to be 12? Tend to be 12 years old.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say that Which about a, he's Bigfoot, a, he's though.
0: He's a humorist, right? I mean, yeah. Jack, Jack hit like makes points. You know, he also has a very spirited argument about um, what an irresponsible mother Sacagawea was. But he just, like, <laughs> he argues these kind of, like, insane points. You that, could
2: like, also say that Moses' mother was irresponsible. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so... And I'm sure Jack Jack hit would probably like that opinion. So he's a humorist, but in one of his pieces, he was like deconstructing. I don't know why I'm talking about dinosaur study. Oh, because from my perspective, as someone who's like decidedly not just a disbeliever, I'm like I'm anti Bigfoot. What? So um, you're
2: a monster. Yes.
0: So from my perspective, I would say that someone with your perspective has more who's taken like a sort of trying to take an impartial look mm-hmm. to me that would be more like being a bigfoot expert than someone who is a is die hard like i believe this is true you're all idiots for not realizing so you're my kind of bigfoot expert all right even though good. you don't want to be one
2: <laughs> reluctant you can call me a reluctant bigfoot expert. a
0: reluctant bigfoot expert i'm, I'm going to talk about a handful of things before we start talking okay. to you laura but, but chime in all right chime in um like some feedback, we we got to cover some. I like to cover some feedback, especially corrections, places where we make mistakes and past episodes okay. and set them straight. But here's not a correction, but just something interesting. So, we like if you listen to the show, you hear that we often will talk about. <clears throat> if you listen to the show, you'll hear we often talk about Folsom hunters and Clovis hunters. You know who? Yeah, fo- the, the Folsom fol- culture. The,
2: the points. Yeah, the, these are old. These are ice age. Yeah,
0: yep. ice age hunters. Uh, People used to think, like, like for a long time, the oldest stuff we knew about was Clovis. Mm-hmm. So Clovis would be 13,500 uh years ago. Yeah, that's nothing. Um and when we talk about the Clovis culture, it's just kind of like that that there's this, there's a projectile point. They made a spear point. This is the bow and arrow hadn't been invented yet. Mm-hmm. They made a very peculiar, particular spear point. And the spear points are so particular that they're regarded as being diagnostic. So if you were to dig down and and find a Clovis point, they were so particular about how they made them that when you find one, it itself is diagnostic of its age. So it's like carbon dating. Yeah. Kind of, well, it's different than that. It's well, like. I mean,
2: like a carbon date, sort of like if you find it in a certain layer of archaeology, you're like, oh, I know exactly where we are
0: right exactly now. Exactly. Like those dudes made their points in a way that no one else made them before and no one else made them after. They so, would have
2: had like a trademark now.
0: Yes. They would have been trademarked rich. It. And in fact, <laughs> yeah, and they would because it's like a, it's the most, <clears throat> one of the most beautiful projectile points. So that's like. 11,500 BCE or BC, whatever you're pickings on that little bit of lingo. Um, but they just, did a, they just did a big excavation near Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. and found what is now the oldest stone tools that, they've, that have yet been recovered here in what is now the United States of America. They found a bunch of stone tools that are 15,500 years old. So it sets back the clock. What's interesting about this is that people used to think that, people used to argue about, did the Clovis hunters arrive here as Clovis hunters? Because all of a sudden, around 13,500 years ago, you see this, like these projectile points are all over the country. And there's not, it's hard to find stuff that's much older than that. So people used to think that there used to be this argument that it was Clovis first, meaning that the Clovis hunters must have arrived here that their ancestors having crossed the Bering Land Bridge. They must have very rapidly colonized the mid-continent and arrived here as a sort of fully formed culture.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: But
2: you're assuming they came across the Land Bridge, which they might not have.
0: No, listen, listen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's no more assumptions.
0: Any other? There's a lot of fun little ideas that get floated around. There's this fun little idea called Boats. the Salutrian connection that it was in fact Western Europeans had somehow come over because they were making projectile points thirty, forty thousand years ago that looked similar to Clovis points. So mm-hmm. there's this idea that Western Europeans came over, taught the Native Americans how to make cool-looking arrowheads, well, died obviously. out, yeah. Just like they came over and showed the Mesoamericans how to build pyramids, mm-hmm. right? That, that it couldn't have been formed here. Um, and there are ideas that, po- that, that Polynesians may have. Or, or, Island hopping, essentially. Yeah, that a Polynesian type people or an early progenitor of Polynesians might have somehow landed in South America. But if you look linguistically, genetically, technology, like technology, the scholarly consensus remains that the first americans came by way of eurasia and arrived here by coming across beringia
2: well, there's one other thing. Walking theory. or in
0: skin boats. Well,
2: yeah, I was going to say they may have followed the coastlines. They may not have yeah. walked. So but there yeah, may yeah. not have been the full land bridge at that point. They may have gone up the northern coasts and eastern coasts of Russia. Yes. And then come across and trying to keep land in sight, which is what you would do if yeah. you were.
0: Okay, I'm comfortable with that. Okay. I, I thought you were going to argue one of the other. There's
2: aliens. Aliens dropped them it was, it was,
0: that, I'm sure there are. You know what? There are some people who think that there was an alien influence.
2: Do you want to talk about them?
0: No <laughs> um, neither do I but I spent a lot yeah, I spent a fair bit of time uh in this world and read about all of the crazy theories yeah and and i and I, and I think, like I said, the scholarly consensus is still that american the first Americans arrived by way they were Siberians and, mm-hmm. and, and arrived here mm-hmm. um, and so there used to be this idea that the Clovis showed up like a fully formed culture but then we have these, these older dates that keep popping up. And so now there's an idea that there were, there were pre Clovis peoples here. So now we have a date, like, a, like a, a date that has scholarly consensus, like all the experts agree this is a legitimate date of 15,500 years old. And what are the chances that you found the first place that anyone ever camped in North America? And it happens to be down in Austin, Texas, meaning there's a lot of stuff we're missing.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of stuff we're missing.
0: There's many, many miles between Austin, Texas, and Beringia mm-hmm. that have campsites that no one's found. These fifteen thousand five hundred year old projectile points were not Clovis. So now the the the, the fashionable idea is that Clo the Clovis culture, which was spreading all around the country, and they hunted, they were they were big game hunters and hunted megafauna and certainly ate all kinds of seeds and vegetable matter and seafood that doesn't store well in the archaeological record but that Clovis was a distinct North American creation people showed up here and developed into the Clovis culture and the Clovis culture was sort of this like unified culture that was widespread Um, and this puts another nail into the coffin of the Clovis first idea. I'm going to hit a couple more of these. You okay?
2: Yeah. I should have boned up a little bit more though. I didn't no. realize we were going here.
0: <laughs> we had a conversation. We had a conversation about squirrel tails and we were talking about one. This was like
2: two episodes ago, right? Yeah. We're one
0: okay. when, when, when hunting squirrels that a squirrel's tail often betrays the squirrel up in the tree. Like, you know, there's a squirrel up in the tree somewhere and you're looking for him, looking for him, looking for him. And, and, When you can't find them and you got your binoculars and you find them, usually quite often. You comfortable with that? Mm -hmm. It's the
2: tail flicking?
0: No, just catching the sunlight. Oh. Just like he'll plaster his body, he'll like plaster his body against the trunk or a limb, but his tail gives him away because it's blowing in the breeze or it just catches the light and it gives like a halo effect. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about what a liability a squirrel's tail is. And a couple people took offense to this. And one guy wrote in about how you need to watch how a, ta- a squirrel works his tail when he's around a predator. What he's doing, is create- he's creating a false target. He says, watch a squirrel run out on the road in front of your car when he's real nervous, the car's coming. He's got his tail up and he's working. And when a squirrel gets nervous about it, a predator being nearby, he'll have his tail up, working. And when he's running, he's got his tail up. And he thinks that predators, that he's luring the predator to something that's non-vital.
2: Like those extra eyes that are on the back of exactly. like certain amphibians exactly. or butterflies. Or...
0: And he says, when you're up bow hunting, watching squirrels, notice how many squirrels are missing a chunk of their tail. And he thinks that when something's on it, it's drawing the attention to it. And it, it will take the blow from a hawk or a fox, grabs the tail and misses the main body.
2: You'd think the hawk or the fox would have figured this one out by now. I mean, there's been several thousand years of being able to, like...
0: But it probably works with, like, neophytes. Like,
1: yeah. ones that haven't done it yet.
0: Yeah, another a, guy, an
1: ermine does that too, right? With the black tip on his tail.
0: Could be. In the winter. Could be.
1: Uses it as a nose. Seems like a nose,
0: but it's not. Yeah, the trouble with physiology is you never know the real answer. If there is, there, there is no real answer. It could just be pretty. Yeah, could be pretty. Could be sexual, like a sexual selection thing. Mm-hmm. Like... There's all kinds of things that animals have that we look at, like, why does he have that? It's like only because it's a, only because it's a gesture or symbol to other creatures. But you it's know? useful still. Yeah, but look how vulnerable. Look at a gobbler gobbling. That does not make him, a, 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 tur- a wild turkey out gobbling in the woods does not make him bigger, faster. It's a, it's a real vulnerability.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That gets you killed. But sexually, it's so important. So you can't be like, um, what is the advantage of gobbling in terms of fitness? You know, It's just that like, it's a necessary evil. He has to do it to breed, but it actually doesn't like, benefit the individual. It only benefits the individual's ability to spread his lineage. I was talking to these, for instance, I was talking to these researchers one time, and they had, a bunch of, uh, they had a bunch of gobblers that they had trackers on and the gobblers did great all winter. Spring came, they started gobbling, all five are dead. (laughs) Bobcats. Oh, sad. Bobcats. Yeah. And when you're calling turkeys, you're calling all kinds of stuff. Uh, Another guy wrote in about the squirrel thing, and this is his thing on it. He says he was recently sitting up in his tree stand, and it was 40 degrees, 25-mile-an-hour gust from the southeast. I observed a squirrel sitting on a branch, facing downwind on the leeward side of a tree. So he's using the tree for a wind buffer and facing away from the wind. He was sitting upright and had its tail up and over itself like a hood. Then he said, he said, the squirrel sat there for 20 minutes unmoving. The sun broke from the clouds and started hitting the side of the tree. He then went around to the sunny side of the tree and pasted himself flat out in the sun on the sunny side of the tree. He sat there for 10 minutes and then went about his day eating. So his feeling is that they also are using their tail for that. A guy was listening to a real old podcast. This is moving on from squirrels.
1: (laughs) Well, I'd like to just put a concluding thought on the squirrels. It's like those are both great points. But it doesn't change the fact that
0: it's a real detriment. It's a real liability. Well, it's a liability you got dudes to, looking for you. Yes. But they were saying that, I guess, the, the, their perspective on it is yes, it's a liability with dudes looking for you with 22s and binoculars. However, people haven't been looking for them with 22s and binoculars mm. long enough to drive any particular evolutionary trait.
1: Okay, well, w- And
2: how much squirrel hunting is there? I mean, in a percentage of the population looking at squirrels, how many people are actually going after them with a twenty-two in binocular?
0: I would love to know what percent of the nation's squirrels, even if you remove urban squirrels, so what percent of the nation's squirrels that are on huntable land are subjected to some amount of hunting? Uh, my guess Huntable is small. land subjected to some amount.
2: <laughs> so you're not considering my backyard and the slingshot huntable land? No, I'm saying land.
0: even if, uh, like even if you were going to run out even if you're going to like exclude so just like what percentage of like huntable squirrels are hunted
3: mm-hmm.
0: i'd be shocked to hear that it's I'd, I'd be shocked to hear that it's more than 25 percent and this I think that's just a guessing. lot of
2: work for not a lot of payoff in terms of
0: there's a thriving squirrel hunting culture
2: i don't doubt that
0: and you can cover a lot of ground hunting squirrels okay so exposed to some degree of hunting like what percent of squirrels on huntable land had a squirrel hunter pass within one hundred yards of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Are we cool to move on with it now? Mm-hmm. Guy <laughs> was listening to a military guy I was listening to an old podcast, and he said he found it disturbing, disturbing that I would have defined Blackjack Pershing's push into Mexico in pursuit of Pancho Villa as a failure. He says, "Yes, it failed to achieve its primary mission of capturing Pancho Villa." but it set about conditions that weakened his influence and depleted his manpower significantly. It also set conditions to force diplomatic relationships between the U.S. and Mexico. Mexico didn't desire full-out war with the U.S. and started to take proactive measures to deter cross-border raids and pursue VIA. Like so many of today's targeted operations against specific leadership of terrorist organizations in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, is it clear that I'm quoting right now? Mm -hmm. Yes. Sometimes you don't get the individual but operational pressure pressure can neutralize their influence and capabilities effectively nullifying them. So I stand corrected on Poncho Villa. Now, another guy was saying this. He wrote in to say he's 99.99% sure that he's called in two different bull moose by knocking boots. Now, I know knocking boots as a euphemism for lovemaking, but he's using knocking boots as like banging the mud off his boots. Because you think like a bull may uh, like a bull moves during the rock goes mm, mm, mm. you do it once.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I could see how the thud mm. of a vibram mm. sole caked with mm. mud. It's the kind of noise you get by the leather that's attached to it. I don't it's know. You guys noise... sound a little
2: more soprano than mm. like beating boots together has more of like a clopping sound
0: but but here's the thing i mean people also i'm not a moose but i know so. people all people do this is something that happens people call in moose by banging like accidentally calling moose by hitting trees with axes oh really because when you hear it it's so it's such a weird sound that you can't you're not sure you're hearing it okay and here's a weird thing too i was out with my kids and my kids were hearing a bull going, they didn't know what it was but they're hearing going go mm, 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 way off and i couldn't hear it
1: and oh, it was only when high. they ke- it was
0: only when they kept talking about it then I'm like, oh, you're right. They're like, huh. what is that? I'm like, what is what? It's not high. It's just like, it's like when you're hearing it, it's like you feel it. Oh, weird. It's like you're aware that you're hearing it, but you can't. Quite it's a strange. Yeah. Okay. It's strange. So he's saying he got hit. It has this happen. He's banging his boots, and a bull shows up. He's hunting in the Yukon. And then one showed up 20 minutes later. No one believed my theory of why he came in, but sure enough, I tried again a couple of days later and another bull strolled in, grunting right next to camp. Two more. A guy was listening um, and he has, he's talking about our idea that, that older animals like lose their quality, like, like palatability. Hunters always think that palatability is better with younger animals. So someone will get like a little buck and he'll be like, oh, it's just a little one. And people to salve his ego would say like, oh, it's a good eater though. This is very common in the hunting world.
2: Because um, the flesh is more tender because they haven't gotten all ropey and old.
0: Yes, that's that's how, that's how the thinking on it, even though there are notable <laughs> That exceptions. makes me feel
2: better because I'm about to hit 40, which means I'm <laughs> less likely to be cannibalized because I want not yes, be as tasty. People would be like, oh, that is,
0: <laughs> that's not a good eater. So um, this guy goes on to say that he has a problem with our us saying that like waterfowl that, that you should that, that older waterfowl is less good because he's saying that the best goose he ever ate was at the, the, I'm reading this guy's email because I like some of the lingo he uses The best goose he ever ate was last year at quote old Bob Milligan's game dinner He brought a goose that he he, he brought a goose that Bob Milligan smoked and he said that this goose was tagged, so he had a banded goose that was banded on James Bay 15 years earlier as a mature bird.
2: That was an old birdie.
0: So he brings a bird that's at least 16 years old over to Bob Milligan's. Bob Milligan smokes it, says it's melt in your mouth tender like you would think it still had the yolk sac attached. And he goes on to say, I highly doubt that this had anything to do with Bob's smoking technique as his smoked venison is like eating an old boot. (laughs) Uh, last point quick to make um someone was saying that we got mark like my talking about uh mark twain mark twain was the pen name of samuel clements so the author of huck finn tom sawyer um his name was sam clements and he adopted the name mark twain we were talking about how mark twain comes from when the rivermen on the mississippi river would have a line that was marked in what i now know to be one fathom increments a fathom being six feet of water there's a guy whose job it is to stand in the front of the boat with a rope and a weight, and he throws the rope on the way out. It swings down, hits bottom, and then he calls to the captain the depth. And Mark Twain is two marks, meaning two fathoms, so you have 12 feet of water, and 12 feet of water was safe passage for the boat. This guy goes on to say that that's not quite right. He teaches Twain, and he says that it's it's precarious. 12 feet is safe passage. And when you hit Mark Twain, you're like saying it's safe, but who knows? The next mark could be much shallower. And he talks about that Twain, his choice of that word was symbolic and that he occupied the precarious space around safety and danger. The guy whose job it was to throw the rope has a rope that goes to four fathoms or 24 feet. After that, he yells out, no bottom. If he throws it out and it doesn't hit, he says, no bottom. These deeper waters would be considered much safer than the call of two fathoms or Mark Twain. So his choice of two fathoms, halfway between Twain, zero, and four, suggests waters that are safe for the moment but could change to become more dangerous or more safe with the changing level of the river bottom. Therefore, Clemens' choice seems to reflect his views of America at the time and his writing style in general. He also goes on to say that Twain hated, he he talks about how we're always celebrating Theodore Roosevelt. Twain hated Theodore Roosevelt. Really? Yeah. Here's what Twain had to say about Roosevelt in in 1907. Mr. Roosevelt is the Tom Sawyer of the political world of the 20th century, always showing off, always hunting for a chance to show off. In his frenzied imagination, the Great Republic is a vast Barnum circus with him for a clown and the whole world for audience. He would go to Halifax for half a chance to show off, and he would go to hell for the whole one.
2: Wow. That is an awesome quote.
0: Did not like OTR.
1: (laughs) You don't hear many critiques. Nope.
0: About him. Hated him. Wow. Okay, Bigfoot. Oh, here we go. How do you want to start out? Do you want to start out talking about your relative? Yeah, I Your relative was a Bigfoot expert.
2: Yeah. I think that's because otherwise people are like, this woman's crazy.
0: Yeah. But yeah. he was a legit Bigfoot expert.
2: He was. And he was also a legit anthropologist. And he probably would have had a lot more to say to you about Clovis points than I can possibly but imagine. But I wouldn't be
0: able to listen to anything he said because he was a Bigfoot person.
2: That's unfortunate because he actually <laughs> did make good findings in the field of anthropology.
0: But then negated them.
2: Do you think so? I don't think so. You tell me. So the one finding I do know about is he...
0: Tell tell us his name. His his
2: name is Grover Krantz. In
0: reading, like in studying up to talk to you, Uh you can't type in like Bigfoot evidence without finding out about Grover Krantz.
2: Right. He's he's considered one of the four horsemen of Sasquatchery, (laughs) which is a phenomenal phrase that I would like to try and use every day from here on out if possible. Um, There's him and three other old dudes... All of them are dead, but one, a guy named Peter Byrne, who is 93 years old and still looking for Bigfoot, but spent his formative years in the Himalaya looking for the Yeti. Like mm-hmm. This guy, He's got, I do an interview with him, a bonus one, and like his stories are crazy.
1: Well, can you explain that real quick? Yeah. So is that how it goes? Is that the Yeti is from down south and then? No, no. The south. Come on.
0: Not like the American? Oh, no. Like, hey, there have been Bigfoot sightings in every state but Hawaii.
2: Because Bigfoot can't swim that far. <laughs> right, the Yeti is I'm asking Himalaya. About, yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I'm asking about. Um, they're cousins. They're they're if they, if if they're real, the idea is that they're sort of branched off from some part of the tree way on back.
0: And that's a white Bigfoot.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure entirely what the uh, what all of the uh, didn't some dude morphological... turn up with the top
0: of a Yeti's head and it had white hair on it. I mean, like eighty oh, percent like of all Bigfoot things, it was a hoax. Like, a demonstrated to be a hoax. Yeah,
2: Well, no surprise there. Um, I don't. I hadn't heard that story. There is a story about someone turning up with a hand at one point. In <laughs> yeah. fact, it was Peter Byrne
0: found a hand. He, well, he was nice. up,
2: he was in the Himalaya and uh, he was at some Buddhist temple and they said, "Hey, we've got a yeti hand. Come take it, check it out." And he came and looked at it. It was this huge hand with these giant nails on it. Okay and he's like i want to take that back and they're like no 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 it's a holy symbol you can't have it and he tells the story way better so he flies back to london this is in the 60s when you know all you're doing is cabling back and forth and this is
0: when bigfoot was getting fashionable
2: this is yeah this is before he even knew about bigfoot this was still yeti there was a guy named tom slick who was a texas oilman who financed all these expeditions first in in uh, the Himalaya and then in the United States. And okay. he died in a plane crash in 1962. And his family was like, okay, we're done with this. Pulled all the money. And uh, that was the end of those, those particular expeditions.
0: Okay, but, so the hand.
2: Yeah, so the hand, uh, Peter, Pe- Byrne, this guy I talked to, Cable's Tom Slick says, they've got this hand up here. And Tom says, well, can you bring it back? This is ca- all cables going back and forth. And Peter's like, no you know they this is a holy relic for them and he said come to london so they go to london they meet with the pro of the london zoo and the guy says here give them this hand instead pulls a hand out from under the table where they're having lunch in a brown paper bag and so peter takes that hand back to the himalaya and gets a finger off of this hand that's there the supposed yeti yeti hand brings it back to london and that's a whole story in and of itself but i'm going to it involves Jimmy Stewart and smuggling stuff out of the country. It's crazy.
0: Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. You ever see Hollow is one? No. Dude, do
2: I need to? Yeah. Okay. Should I write that down? He plays a frontiersman. Someone I I'll I'll forget
0: that. You know his Christmas movie, right? It's A Wonderful Life. Yeah. Oh,
2: I've never seen
0: it. Uh it's a Wonderful Life flopped at the box office. Did it really? Yeah, it was a horrible. Why? Yeah, people like a, a, a production company went out of business over what a failure this was. But everybody
2: talks was. about what a great movie it is. What
0: well, it, res- it was resurrected.
2: I've never seen it, and every time I say that, people think I'm a communist.
1: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you got two strikes against
0: you.
3: <laughs> wow. I
1: think that a Christmas. <laughs> How many do I get? A Christmas Story cricket? has the same story. That it was a it was a flop. The Leg Lamp. Yeah. I think I'm popping my peas a little bit. Am I? no oh Sounds good. a christmas okay. story yeah flopped yeah yeah it's Believe a wonderful so. life flop
0: and it was made by a returning you know it was one it was a director who was returning from world war ii really yeah and he had been profoundly impacted by things he saw in world war ii and came home and made it's a wonderful life and it flopped and it was like devastating but then it became you know it's a classic every american family watches every year yeah Except mine. Every family should watch. Every well, we're reading. We're busy reading Karl Marx. We yeah. have time to watch, it's a wonderful life. I'm getting. Right, so, I'm getting way on No, the base Jimmy here, Stewart it threw me for a loop. Yeah, the, the, the Jimmy Stewart's involved in this. Yeah. Okay.
2: So anyway, Jimmy Stewart helped smuggle this finger out back to London, where they, you know, examined it, and the guy at the zoo said, "I, you know, this doesn't look like any specimen I'm familiar with." Put it in a drawer, and then it disappeared for years and years and years and years and years.
0: Pre-genetics.
2: Yeah. Well, then they found it. And it was in his private lab at the back of some building in the zoo. And they uh, dug it out and they ran genetics on it. And it was Peter Byrne's DNA that was all over it, which was really kind of interesting. So even though he'd handled it decades before, I think they did the DNA testing in 2013, his DNA was still like coating it, which is fascinating stuff. Where did the figure come from? Um, They think it was human. I think it was human. It's just like some guy with a really big hand. Oh. I know, right? Not it the helps Yeti. feed the legend. Though. Yeah, it does. It totally it helps, does.
0: It helped feed the legend <laughs> mm-hmm. for decades.
2: Right. Anyway, right. back to Grover, my relative. Grover
0: Krantz. Grover Krantz. You being Laura Krantz.
2: Mm-hmm. Same Gro- last name.
0: Yeah. And, and and what is the what is the relationship?
2: He is my grandfather's cousin. So... I didn't know who he was. He had gotten this big write-up in the Washington Post because he donated, first he donated his body to the Tennessee Body Farm, which is where they run forensic analysis. They'll take bodies that have been donated and they'll leave them in a field or in a pond or in the trunk of a car and see what happens to them as they decay. Oh. And then they use that stuff to do forensics on crimes and you know, missing persons when they do find the body, that kind of thing. Yeah. So he did that first. And then his skeleton went to the Smithsonian, Um, along with the bones of his three Irish wolfhounds, Yahoo, Icky, and Clyde. Clyde was his favorite. And the Washington Post did this huge article on him, and that's how I found out about him. I had no idea who he was. And then at the last section of that article, there was this sort of, I don't know, three or four paragraphs about how he was known for driving around the Pacific Northwest with a spotlight and a rifle searching for Sasquatch. A
0: rifle? Yeah. You mean to tell me... That, oh, that no. Grover, mm-hmm. your kin,
3: mm-hmm.
0: Um, he was prepared to—he was prepared to do the unspeakable.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. He—he uh, he actually came out and told a reporter this because he knew that for science you have to have a type specimen to prove the existence of a species to get it put in the Linnaean system to get it categorized. You have to have, you know, the equivalent of a Bigfoot stuck in styrofoam with a big pin, like. Mm -hmm. Like the butterfly, like same kind of thing. So he told a reporter this, that he was prepared to shoot one for the purposes of science. That story got syndicated in newspapers all over the country, and Grover got so much hate mail that he had to resort to a form letter, as did Washington State University, where he was a tenured anthropology professor. They were sending out letters left and right saying, you've misinterpreted this. But people were angry. Even people who didn't
0: think Bigfoot was real were like
2: pissed off. I
0: I can see both sides of it.
2: Can you? Tell me.
0: Why do I see both sides of it? hmm Because sometimes you need to burn a village to save it. Yep. If he were to Just prove- like Vietnam. If he were to prove definitively mm-hmm. that there is this species, mm-hmm. um, it would no doubt lead to a lot of protections. Yep. Legal habitat otherwise- um, and people would have to reckon with this reality that Grover believed in. So you're killing one. And people like to have this idea that Bigfoot is like a thing. It's like a singular sp- specimen. Mm-hmm. But you'd have to have – Here's, here's this, this is where I start. This is one of the many areas in which I start to not believe in Bigfoot is that you'd have to have a breeding population mm-hmm. that has survived here for tens of thousands of years and so, um, there there must be a couple thousand of them in order to carry on.
2: That's one of the theories. If yes.
0: you look at like a, you look at what it takes to support. I mean, we're talking about something that's six eight hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. It's enormous. Um, and then you look at what we know about other animals of that size. It's very hard to have. It's very hard to maintain stable populations of large mammals that are in that you know you can't carry on for 10,000 years with just two or three of them running around you need a breeding population of them right but people like to have this idea that it's just this lone wandering thing
2: i think that part of that idea stems from tabloid stuff what idea the idea that there's just one because i hear that a lot from from people who aren't bigfoot experts yeah where they just say oh is he still alive Sure, um, but as people who are really steeped in this world, they believe that there is a breeding population. The idea is roughly two thousand.
0: So there's, but then there's been Bigfoot sightings in all fifty states.
2: Yeah, I don't know how many of those came out of the bottom of a whiskey bottle.
0: Okay, so the, uh, so so Big we're getting ahead of ourselves, but Bigfoot people, <laughs> Bigfoot people, Bigfoot believers.
2: Mm-hmm. They don't like to be called believers.
0: What do they like to be called?
2: I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. But the term "belief" is a bit of a they 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 put that with faith. Well, that's okay.
0: We're gonna keep. I, I want you to supply you, me. <laughs> supply me. I know. With the, I don't have a better one either. And okay. I
2: actually, fought, I had a lot of conversations about this. I'm just saying that belief yep. is a hard word for them to swallow. But they actually end up using it because they don't have a better
0: one. They don't have a better one. Yeah. So bigfoot believers, like the the top tier bigfoot researchers, mm-hmm. are are saying that like. Let's just let's go down to core Bigfoot country, mm-hmm. the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. right? Northern California, Oregon, Washington. It seems like Bigfoot ground zero is the Olympic Peninsula of Washington.
2: I'd say up into Canada, too.
0: Up into Canada? If you were going to consider. So they're, they're, they're suggesting that there are 2,000 Bigfoots running around that turf. Is it
2: Bigfoot or Bigfeet?
0: Big feet. Okay. I don't know what they would go, but what do they go? They're by? like
2: I say. There, I'm running a poll on this right now. There seems to be tied between Bigfoot and Bigfoots, as in Bigfoot like deer.
0: Yeah. Okay. Bigfoots. Two thousand Bigfoots. You know how many grizzly bears are in? Um, you know how many grizzly bears are in Montana and Wyoming and Idaho? Five hundred. No. About two thousand. Okay. You know how often people run into those things? How often? A lot. <laughs> many people every day. Mm-hmm. Many people every day.
2: You're not. You're you know, not telling me anything. They get hit, that they I'm get hit by. Car, they get yep. hit
0: by cars. They show up in chicken coops.
2: They're in people's backyards. They're in people's backyards.
0: They're down at Yellowstone National Park, lingering around. Mm-hmm. Um, they're nowhere near as elusive as a bigfoot. But I want to get back to him shooting one. So I, me seeing <laughs> both sides. Well, first off, you you wouldn't shoot at a bigfoot if you ran into one.
1: You know, you're thinking about it. Well, yeah, especially after listening to uh, Laura's podcast, definitely. Because you'd like, shoot and kill a Bigfoot. You have to have a specimen. Yeah, yeah. dude, I never would do that. Because really? I, otherwise, you're you. Just, we've had this conversation before. Otherwise, you come back and you're just then another you're just dude, another guy that you're going to be like, that guy was cool, but now I consider him crazy. And in talking about this before, I said that if I saw one,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I would absolutely not kill it, and I would never tell anyone that I saw it.
2: Uh, see, I had the same problem because if you see one and then you're like, God, I can't tell anyone about this. They're going to like just think I've gone exactly. off the deep end. I've been exactly. out in the woods too long or I've been around Bigfoot people too long.
0: Now, if I could, if I found one dead, just, you know, I would be gonna, shouting that from the rooftop. wrestle that in the that, car? <laughs> yeah, shouting that <laughs> from the rooftops. But no, I wouldn't kill a Bigfoot. Um, why
2: Why not? Because you of all people,
0: me of all people.
2: Well, I'm just saying because you don't believe, and wouldn't you want people to?
0: I wouldn't kill one because I just don't go off sh- sh- shooting guns and whatnot at things that I don't have. I mean, that's that not, I'm not, that's like, like, not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just
2: because you don't because you don't believe. When if you did see one, and knowing what the sort of general populace thinks of this, or what people would think if you were to come back and say, you just wouldn't tell anyone. You just and then you'd what, bury it in the back of your mind and never think of it again? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I would do. Okay. What else have you seen out there that you're not telling us about? <laughs> <laughs> Thank- thankfully.
0: <laughs> thankfully, nothing. Okay. Thankfully, nothing. Um, but no, I wouldn't kill one. Giannis, uh, I'm disappointed to you that, you would, <laughs> that you would kill one. I, don't know, I feel like you'd be in some trouble. Is that not true? Well, it's not like it's a protected species.
2: I believe Grover's saying was, and I don't know if I have this correct, but he was the first person who shoots one should get a medal. The second one should go to jail. Gotcha. So he really, from a science perspective, he felt you needed to have a specimen in order to prove its existence. Now, DNA would change that to some degree. Because if you got DNA off of something yeah. and that was significantly different from anything else in that phylogenetic tree, then you might have more of a case. But even then, I don't think they allow you... Well, I don't know this for sure. You might be able to name a species based on DNA alone. Now. Yeah. But you, footprint, me- you can't do it for footprints. You can't do it for other stuff. Yeah, you DNA. mentioned the,
0: the Linnaean system. Mm-hmm. That's like us being Homo sapien.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, yeah, species. Yeah, that's like
0: our, when you say like the, the, the Linnaean name, or some people call it the Latin name for mm-hmm. an animal. And there's bi, like binomial Nomenclature. Nomenclature.
2: Yeah, I got a refresher on high school biology when I started doing the, the second episode, which is
0: on evolution. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't established this yet. Okay. The, you, your show.
2: Oh. oh, right, I have a show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tell people about that real so, quick.
2: So the Grover thing got me interested, and then I kind of sat on this story for a few years. I didn't really know what to do with it, but with the background in radio, and then when I was living in Denver, when I moved to Denver, I found out that Grover's fourth and last wife lived about 30 miles away. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go talk to her. And she had some good stories about Grover that weren't necessarily Bigfoot related. They were just like about an interesting, really kind of a fascinating guy. And then she put me in touch with a few more people. And by that point, I was realizing that these interviews were really pretty compelling and pretty fun to do. And I was like, I'm going to do a podcast. And so that's what I decided to do. So I had a podcast. It started on October 2nd. It's called Wild Thing. And it's about Grover, this relative of mine. And it's about the people who are looking for Bigfoot and who are spending all kinds of time and money and energy. And then it's sort of suspending disbelief and saying, okay, if Bigfoot is a thing, where would it fit in the evolutionary tree? How would we, what does the evidence look like? Um, What are some of the encounters that people have had? And then it's also looking at the cultural significance of Bigfoot, because even for people who don't believe in Bigfoot, don't think Bigfoot's real, think it's kind of silly, there is a fascination. And a lot of companies have tapped into that too. I mean, um, you know, Bigfoot Beers and Bigfoot Bikes and...
0: A small cooler company called Yeti.
2: Yeah, but that's the Yeti. (laughs)
0: Totally different. Yeah. Oh, totally different species. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. See, I haven't learned but anything yeah. yet.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I haven't learned anything. But
2: yeah, I mean, they're, that, the Yeti, I think, falls into the same category in terms of this Mythical appeal. creatures. Yeah. What's
0: the word? Crypto? Cryptozoology. Crypto. Studying stuff that doesn't actually exist.
2: Um, crypto, well, it's kind of secret, I guess. Yeah. I don't know the full, I didn't really do the etymology of the word, yeah. but yeah.
0: I, I, I want to move on from Grover. Okay. Um. But but I understand like the genesis of your interest came from him. Came from realizing that you were long lost relatives with mm-hmm. a leading bigfoot researcher.
2: Yeah, not many people but, get to claim that.
0: But I want to I want to point out something that I'm that I'm picking up about Grover. Okay. Four wives. Right. Mm-hmm. D- what happened to the other three?
2: Uh, divorces. Bigfoot, bigfoot ate them.
0: Bigfoot killed them all. Yeah.
2: No, the first two, the first three were divorces. Um, I don't think the first two lasted very long. the third one didn't really either. And then the fourth one, he was married to Diane for over 20 years. So a okay,
0: so bunch of spouses mm-hmm. donates his body to, be stu- to learn how to study rotting corpses. Mm-hmm. His bones and his dogs. Go to the Smithsonian. Okay. I'm getting the pi- uh, you're painting a picture to me mm-hmm. of a person who has an like outsized perspective of themselves and who is a, uh, an eccentric and wants people to know about it. I think that is probably fair. Which is also not what you're generally looking for when it comes to a researcher.
2: That, there is some truth to that. However, I did talk to students and friends and people who'd worked with him, and he was very well-liked and well-respected. His classes were always full people loved him as a professor so i i don't think he was just and you know egomaniac a showman. running around look at me look at me look at me yeah and ultimately i feel well maybe this isn't the case some you know some showmen they do stuff cuz they want people to like them and they want people to pay attention to them and respect them and think that they're great i think grover didn't really care what people thought. He just had kind of weird ideas and liked to pursue them. Mm-hmm. At one point he was trying to figure out why certain human ancestors had this sort of prominent brow ridge. The
0: permian brow.
2: Yeah. And so he took a piece of styrofoam and he or styrene and he carved a brow and he glued it to his forehead and he walked around campus for a couple of weeks like that just to kind of try and understand why what the point of something like that was. Shaded might
0: have been. his eyes? Yep. So you didn't have to walk around with his hand up all the time?
2: <laughs> I think that's ultimately what he decided is, you know, it served as an eye shade, which may not have been enough for it to stick around as a residual evolutionary trait. Yeah,
0: but on the open side. Yeah, I've said it before and I'll say it a thousand times more. If you got a family and you got people that rely on you, you need to take life insurance seriously. And policy genius... Is the country's leading online insurance marketplace. So, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars in coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Your life insurance policy, you know, that you get at work may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. Policy Genius gives you unbiased advice from a licensed expert support team. Now, this is super convenient, right? Because a lot of times, you know, something like life insurance, you're just going to put it off because you're like, when will I ever have time to do that? I don't even know who to talk to about it. Well, this helps you do it online. Okay, again, you're comparing options from top companies. All right? Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Hey, you know when you take uh, some time to clean out, uh, let's say, like clean out your garage, and you're like, man, how was I living like that with that place such a mess? Well, check this out. If you've been paying a fortune for wireless, and then you switch over to Mint Mobile and get plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you'll be saying, how was I ever affording to do that way I did it before? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just $15 a month, go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. And you will cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month again mintmobile.com slash meateater It's a $45 upfront payment required, which is the equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, Liquidiv.com and you use code Meat Eater at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code Meat Eater at Liquidiv.com. Savannah. Yeah. Could have been helpful. (laughs) Okay, this holiday season, when you make yourself a homemade honey glazed ham using jewel sous vide. You will cook that ham for 48 hours until it's the most flavorful and tender holiday ham you've ever experienced. Cooking with Joule means zero guesswork. So, beef, venison, poultry, pork, seafood, all manner of wild game, from squirrels to moose, all comes out exactly the way you like them. Jewel makes it easy to try cooking new recipes and cuts of meat at home because you don't have to worry about food being undercooked and overcooked and it's easy to cook for a crowd. If you can fit the cut of meat in a cooler, you can hook you can cook it with Jewel. So like racks of ribs, leg of lamb, steak for a small army, big old venison neck, one single Jewel can cook the whole deal. Plus cooking with Jewel is hands-free. You can check the progress on your phone so you don't need to sit there and, you know, watch the thing cook all day long. To get yours, you got to visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use the code meat eater one word and you get 15 bucks off for a limited time that's chefsteps.com slash j-o-u-l-e promo code meat eater one word jewel perfect food every time now through december 25th christmas time The 23andMe DNA kits are on sale, so you can give the gift of genetic discovery. With 23andMe's Ancestry Composition Report, you can explore where your DNA is from out of 150 regions worldwide. You can also learn about the role your genes play in your well-being and lifestyle. For instance, studies have found that almost all elite power athletes have a specific genetic variant in the gene related to muscle composition. 23andMe's Ancestry Composition Report can tell you whether or not you have that version of the gene, too. And it can also tell you about the genetics behind other senses, like cilantro taste aversion, the ability to match musical pitch and mosquito bite frequency. The, 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 the countdown is on. We're waiting to find out Yanni's results.
1: Yeah, now, boy, I think Dude, about I'm it. I'm know. more interested in to see if I have these super... Uh, athlete gene
0: more than if you are in fact <laughs> if you are in fact what you think you are
1: yeah because maybe I'll just realize I haven't really been hitting my potential
0: no that's true so between now and December 25th get 30% off any 23andme kit order your DNA kit at 23andme.com slash me eater that's the number two the number three A-N-D-M-E 23 Me dot com slash meat eater. Again, 23andme.com slash meat eater. Meat eater being one word. Um where did you sit on what was your sort of feelings about, knowledge about an opinion on Bigfoot before you realized that you had a that you were related to a bigfoot researcher.
2: I thought this was tinfoil hat stuff, like all the way. What's that mean? Just conspiracy theory and like people who are a little unplugged from reality. Um, you know, it's tabloid. It's like bigfoot had my baby. Yeah. Headlines on the Weekly World News and the National Enquirer. You know, my one movie that I'd ever seen was Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, is
0: that supposed to be your uh, relative? The guy with the gun trying to kill Bigfoot? No,
2: that is uh, the guy who's supposed to be closest to Grover is Walter... Oh, what is his last name? He's the nice guy, the older guy who's like, I'm never going to see a Bigfoot. And then he like turns and looks and there's Harry right there. I forget what his name is.
0: That was your relative. Supposedly loosely
2: modeled on Grover.
0: And the gun guy was modeled on a...
2: Guy named Rene de Hinden, who was a Swiss immigrant to Canada and was a, supposedly a little... Unhinged, but I also don't know how closely these hewed to their actual. Yeah,
0: just like, but in, maybe informed the. Yeah, it's like in Jaws. <laughs> um, in Jaws, the the, 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 the shark hunter mm-hmm. is modeled off of Frank Mundus, who was a guy in Montauk who would take people out to kill big ass sharks, and would wear the teeth and.
3: Oh, okay,
2: yeah. I don't think I knew so that. So he's
0: like, yeah, he, he was, he was Spielberg modeled. Okay. Or took attributes from Frank Mundus. Um, yeah. It's I'm, called the Monster Man. Oh. And like inform that. Yeah. Th- inform that character. So is there a conspiracy? Cause you mentioned like you thought of it as conspiracy theory stuff, but there's no like conspiracy. Like Bigfoot, pe- are... Bigfoot people think the government's hiding the truth.
2: Well, so here's the other thing I learned. Bigfoot people from the outside, it's a monolith when you start investigating a little bit more, it kind of starts to divide into smaller groups. So there is a group similar to Grover who are looking at this, you know, Bigfoot is a a um, undocumented primate. It's flesh and bro- blood. It's beholden to the same laws of physics and nature that the rest of us are. Then there's a whole group that are like, Bigfoot was dropped off by aliens. It can move through dimensions, which is why you don't see it because you'll like see the rustling and then it moves into another dimension and then you're not, Seeing it anymore, but it can still see you, and it can, you know, it's got telepathy and.
0: I got you. Yeah. You know, what, you know what, Mitch, the comedian Mitch Hedberg, yeah. thinks about Bigfoot.
2: Uh, he's blurry around the edges. It
0: just is blurry,
2: which I didn't know that joke. <laughs> And I used that. I was like, I thought I was so clever. I was like, look at this funny joke that I wrote, and I put it into the third episode. And then someone's like, Mitch Hedberg wrote that joke. And
0: oh, really? Like, Damn <laughs> it! <laughs> but <laughs> there's but no I, new
2: material out
0: there. I was reminded of it by the third dimensional, like the third mm-hmm. dimensional idea. That that. So there are people that think fourth that it
2: dimension is- actually could be moving through. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, You're no, three dimensional. Yeah, I'm three. Okay. So, so there's that, So there's a school of thought that Grover occupied. It's a species. Yeah, it's, it's just s-
2: an. It's been an s- undocumented
0: subject to all the things that we're subject to. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and then, then there's, there's people who are like, no, it's it's supernatural, paranormal. It, you know, it, it's not beholden to the laws of physics and nature. Which I just I didn't spend any time looking into that because if you decide to suspend the laws of physics for Bigfoot, you probably ought to do it for everything else too.
0: A Native American man explained, because we dog on Bigfoot a lot. A Native American man explained to me, um, wrote a letter to me once it, trying to explain sort of the position that, that they didn't call it Bigfoot, but there was, an, uh, there was a Native American tradition about this large creature. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of them. Yeah. And he explained it in that way.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, like uh, he used the term about uh, shape shifter. Mm-hmm. Like a, a sort of magical creature. And that was the way it was discussed.
2: Yeah. And I didn't know that there's a lot of creatures in Native American folklore and Native American stories that are everyday creatures that are imbued with these kinds of magical qualities. Um, Grover's theory was well, with those, if you strip out all the magical stuff, you have the animal. So he thought maybe Bigfoot would be the same kind yeah, of thing.
0: Yeah. Like Coyote was a trickster mm-hmm. who would. Who or would, Raven yeah.
2: or. You know, Thunderbird. They think was the condor, which apparently should be extinct, according to John Mowellum.
0: Oh yeah, don't bring that up. I guess people riled up. <laughs> oh, does it? <laughs>
2: oh, so, strike that from the record. <laughs> so, um, no, that's
0: something I've been meaning to talk about more at some point. Is more condor thoughts. So we got a lot of condor feedback after we talked about bet the condor. Oh, did. Um, is there another variety? So you have the uh, ma- the yeah. magical, the metaphysical Bigfoot. Yeah,
2: and then within. There's also some people who think there is an actual government or logging industry cover up. The idea being that similar with the spotted owl, if something like Bigfoot actually is proved to exist in the forests of the Pacific Northwest, well shit, you're not gonna be able can I swear?
0: Yeah. I'll
2: try and cut it out. Don't get carried away, but I no, that word's fine. Okay. Yeah. Um we you know, we can't go in there and Log anymore, it's going to ruin our industry. I mean, if they did that for the owl, what are they going to do for Bigfoot? So, there's a theory there's there's a conspiracy idea that either the forest service or the logging industry is somehow involved in covering this stuff up
0: because they want to keep on business as usual. Yep, all right, that brings up something that brings up a real problem for me with something in your show that i feel like needs better explanation okay early on and without giving too much weight to the listeners okay early on in your series on bigfoot Mm -hmm. you go out with some fellers Mm -hmm. to investigate some bigfoot nests Mm -hmm. and they explain to you and i had a very hard time with this they explained to you that a timber cruiser like a person who assesses timber ahead of a timber harvest Mm -hmm. to see like you know, timber cruiser would go out and would be like, you know, does cutting, is cutting here warranted? How many board feet are here? What's the, you know, accessibility? Wrapping
2: ribbons around the trees. Accessibility
0: the nine, of yikes. the timber. Yep. That a timber cruiser goes out and finds Bigfoot nests. Mm-hmm. And these individ- these Bigfoot people suggest to you that they then called off the timber harvest in order to give them a couple years to do research on the Bigfoot nests and locked off all access to the area on the Olympic Peninsula. Locked off all access to the area in order to allow them to carry out their research, mm-hmm. and only they can go into the area. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. That's true. So the
2: land was already gated. And it was private timberland. Okay. So it wasn't like it was forest service. It wasn't
0: Wirehauser.
2: It was uh, private forest land. This guy was out, and it's his family's land, and so this guy was out. Doing, you know, looking for timber and figuring out like what the cut was going to be on this particular plot, and then came across this stuff.
0: Found the nests.
2: Found the nests. Called in the Department of Natural Resources from Washington, and called in the Olympic Project. Now, my feeling is, is if you called in the Olympic Project, it's probably because you already have some sort of ideas about Bigfoot in your mind.
0: Because they're they're Bigfoot research. They're a
2: Bigfoot research group. Very nice people. Very down to earth. They run some really interesting programs that actually. um Well, we can get to this later, but I like the idea that some of the stuff that happens with Bigfoot research is people get trained to recognize animal calls, to recognize things in the woods, so they're not assuming that everything out there is a Bigfoot, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of a sidebar. Anyway, uh, DNR came out, and Olympic Project came out, and everyone's kind of looking at these things thinking, I don't know what they are. And so the timber guy, because it's his family's land, said, you know, we'll log somewhere else, you get five years.
0: What did the? Why won't they allow anyone to photograph the Bigfoot nests? Oh, they will. They just wouldn't let me. How far are the Bigfoot you can nests? Google, from the road? If you
2: Google Bigfoot nests, Olympic Peninsula, you'll find them online, no problem.
1: Pictures of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. How? Hey, f- can you just give us a rough sketch of what these look I'd like? I'd
2: say yeah, eight, nine, ten feet in dia- diameter. Like they're pretty. They're they're woven. They're like a bird's nest. Now I saw them two and a half years in, three years in after they'd been found, and they were pretty degraded. Um, but you could still tell that they had been woven up the edges and up the sides. Um, and why
0: hasn't anyone just run – why hasn't anyone run genetic swabs on these things?
2: They have. Okay. That's in the podcast. They're what running – run, yeah.
0: And what, 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 what is the – This
2: isn't running until after December 4th, right?
0: Correct. Yeah. Okay. What species is it that left the
2: um, – They found any kind of species you would have expected – In the pacific northwest uh the only primate they found was human real human 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 not close to human Mm -hmm. and then they found horse which was kind of weird but somebody probably tracked that in on their boots and so it was contamination so these were run at a lab in new york or it's probably whoever made the nest or these guys out there cutting samples out of it because it's going to be very unless you go in like you're and even crime scenes get cross contaminated all the time unless you're going in in like a full level four biohazard suit um, yeah yeah, you you're know any number i mean if if that finger that Peter Byrne touched seventy years ago, the yeti hand, still had his DNA on it, that stuff could have been there for
0: yeah who knows but whole. when you usually when you pull DNA from a bone, you mm-hmm. usually go in you know you, you go into a very controlled atmosphere and pull material from inside of the bone Mm -hmm. where you don't have as much surface contamination.
3: Well,
2: they did. They took big pie-shaped wedges out of the nests. They bagged them up. Um, But there were some problems with the material still having moisture in it. So, you know, that hastens um, degradation of samples. And then they also did not do DNA testing on the nests immediately. They waited a few years. So wind and rain and sun and all the rest of that had also done some some damage to it so you know and that that sort of has people holding out hope that okay maybe these samples were contaminated and so we didn't get everything we needed out of it or maybe whatever bigfoot is it's so closely related to humans that we're perceiving this human dna as contamination but it's actually bigfoot okay Right. Can
0: you lay out just like like totally like just straight face like mm-hmm. like never mind my negativity like lay out for me what what in the commu- yeah <laughs> in the bigfoot community what are the biggest like in the bigfoot community what are the right now sort of the hot pieces of evidence like like right now like what is the you know if you're really going to sit down and present at a conference mm-hmm. of 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 scientists okay you're going to present and you get the best, brightest mind Mm -hmm. from the Bigfoot world, and he needs to come in and be like, this is real. We need to pay attention to this. What are the three or four things that he's going to lay out for us?
2: Um, The Patterson-Gimlin film. Or she.
0: I don't mean to – I'm not – he or she will lay out for us. The
2: Patterson-Gimlin film will always come up. This is that 1967 footage, extremely shaky. was shot in the Six Rivers National Forest area of Northern California, so sort of near Eureka, Willow Creek. Yeah. Um, that is always held up as being a piece of evidence. Um, What's it called again? It's called the Patterson-Gimlin film, and you have seen it. Everybody has seen it, or they've at least seen the still from it, which is the Bigfoot sort of one hand in front, one hand behind, Uh, looking back over its shoulder.
0: But didn't didn't the Bigfoot, wasn't that person, they were going out to film a Bigfoot?
2: They were out. So So Roger Patterson, yeah, I know. Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin were down there looking the tracks. There'd been tracks found in that area around some um, logging equipment that had been put in over a weekend. And then the loggers came back in on a Monday morning and there were these tracks and everybody got all kerfuffled about this. Mm -hmm. So Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin came down from the Yakima, Washington area and spent three weeks, three or four weeks out there just kind of looking around but yes, the fact that they were out looking for Bigfoot, and Roger happened Colors. to be running a camera, um, at the moment adds questions to it. The flip side is, no one has ever brought the suit out—the suit that was worn in that film.
0: Yeah, and there's some and there's, questions about something that is seen like, someone can see a clasp, and, and they argue that it was dried dung sticking to the Bigfoot. Whoa,
2: that's a new one. I haven't heard that one. I don't know. If but this is, this is true the thing: if you go to the if you go to the Patterson-Gimlin Wiki, Wikipedia page we'll see you next year. Like you'll be in there, every link that could po- you could possibly imagine. It's one of the deepest rabbit holes I've ever spent time in. And I just finally, I was like, I can't, I'm done. I have to move on to something else. Um, but three different people have claimed to be the guy in the suit. No one's details match anyone else's details. I see. It's just, there's a lot of like questioning about it in the same way that there is about a lot of the other, other evidence. Like what is real, what is not real. Yeah. What but they
0: is, still hold that famous piece. Because no
2: it. one has disproved it so they still put it up as being a significant piece of evidence. There were also footprints taken from the creature that day. There's plaster casts, and those are around as well and seen as, there's a, uh, I think it's the, uh, met- is it the metatarsal break? It basically is the break halfway in the foot where it would be bending. Whereas if these were fake feet, they would have been you know, flat on the ground and this has a break in it. So mm-hmm. it looks like it's got pressure. Yeah. So the you know the foot anatomy and and uh, mobility is is brought into play there. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's like these little tiny bits that those are the kinds of things where you're like, well,
0: and they still maybe. Ha- they're hanging on yeah, to that. Yeah, they hang on to that one. Okay, um, lay, lay some more on me.
2: The you know the other the other thing that's brought up a lot is how many footprints there actually are. And the idea that someone could be hoaxing all of those and being, you know, out there with fake feet seems impossible. So uh, if you've got one, one hand, all these fake footprints, they're all fake. And on one, on the other hand, it's like Bigfoot, both seem equally silly, but what seems more likely? Well, they, they tend to think Bigfoot is more likely, um, what are some of the other ones? I mean, the DNA, there's a lot of hope being held out for DNA stuff. And who knows if that will ever turn anything up. It would be helpful if they could actually get samples of something that is is different from, you know, bear poop or human DNA or deer hair. Because a lot of samples get sent in and then some guy saying, oh, I saw this weird thing out in the woods and then sends in the sample and then it ends up being the same as...
0: Not, yeah, no, nothing. Not, no, no nothing private. unusual, yeah. Uh, I want to come back to good pieces of evidence. Unless I mean, are there any more? Are there any like real zingers right now? The there's In the terms bod- of physical... The body print, I know there's a body print from 2000 where someone put out some fruit bait.
2: Oh, yeah, and it slipped and it is... And, the, uh, and the left but, a
0: body impression? Yep,
2: the butt print, I think that one's called. I can't remember what.
0: And someone proposed that... The
2: Skookum cast,
0: that's that one. And someone proposed that he the Bigfoot, in getting the bait, didn't want to leave track. that they don't like to leave tracks. And so he approached the bait mm-hmm. somehow laying down, and someone pointed out, well, if he doesn't want to leave footprints, it seems that he would also not want to leave a large body impression of himself.
2: <laughs> it seems fair.
0: And that was in 2000, and that was researched by the Bigfoot Field Research Organization. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with them?
2: Yes. That was a, a group started by a guy named Matt Moneymaker, who – I know. It's not a great name. name. It's his actual name. I did interview him. He was on um, Finding Bigfoot, that TV show that was, you know, ran like nine seasons, seven years, nine seasons, something like that, um, and was extremely popular.
0: We were talking a minute ago about DNA. Yeah. Um, and if, if more evidence comes up, let's come back to evidence. But okay. we we're talking about DNA, which brings up this question of what is the idea of like, what is it? How did it, Get here? Do they believe that it DNA? You, no, no. Oh, no.
2: I was like, I can't help that. The species. <laughs> the species. <laughs> okay.
0: Again, imagine that that Bigfoot people are in explaining this. Yeah. Um. In in a in a you know in a symposium.
2: There's sort of two theories on this um that I found sort of. I mean, I I again the stuff I did in this was very Bigfoot 101. So mm-hmm. there's much more elaborate theories out there. But the way I saw it was there's people who think that hum- that Bigfoot would be closely related to humans, would be descended from an ancient human ancestor. Um, There's a guy named Jeff Meldrum, who is a professor of anthropology at Idaho State University. He's kind of picked up the mantle from Grover, my relative, as being the academic Bigfoot guy. And he thinks it's probably descended from an ancient human relative and, you know, branched off a couple million years ago.
0: And passed through the Bering Land Bridge?
2: Um,
0: or passed through Beringia and arrived here ahead of humans?
2: No. What did, you know, I don't remember what he said about how it ended up in, yeah, no, it would have come here around the same time as humans. It would have been following along the same time as everyone else. So the interesting, one of the interesting things I learned during this process was about evolution. And the idea for a long time was that evolution was a straight line that we, you know, it was this slowly evolving line from primitiveness to perfection. To more complex. right? Yeah. And that's not the case. It's just, it's a shrub, basically. There's all these different offshoots and branches and things that like, you know, look like they were promising and then just poof, kind of died out. And at one point in time, there was as many as like eight or nine hominid species walking around the planet at the same time.
0: Yeah, you, you get in the area of, of um, around the southern Mediterranean, in the mm-hmm. Middle East in Northern Africa, mm-hmm. yeah, and there's there just like, all there kinds of different, different stuff. Yeah,
2: Denisovans and Neanderthal and Homo florensiensis. And I mean, there's just lots of different things. It's kind of like nature's throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks to some degree.
0: But many of these things had like enormously long, you know, right? Like Neanderthals were in Neanderthals, yeah, I know, but it's like, you know, you I mean there's certain <laughs> things, there's certain things you know they're right.
2: And you don't care anyway.
0: But you don't do it because it just winds up making a statement about itself. Okay. Like there's certain words you struggle with like like niche mm-hmm. or it's niche, right? So you wind up being like, okay, I get, I understand you're okay. supposed to do it this way. Like but
2: buffalo and bison?
0: Yeah. Okay. Buffalo and bison. I struggle with it all the time. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to go Neanderthal. Okay, that's fine. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to judge you. Um, knowing that I shouldn't, that I'm not saying it right. That they had that they occupied Europe for far longer yeah, than modern humans have occupied. They were there for 600,000 well, 600, years. So to call like, them a failure is right. like, by what measure?
2: Right. But, and I'm not saying they're a failure necessarily. Um, that's not what I was trying to imply yeah, yeah. in, in, no, the, I'm in the least. But what's interesting and what they found out in recent years is they may not have in fact died out. They may have just interbred. Bred out. And now, like, you do those, you know, 23 Ancestry.com DNA tests, and people are like, oh, I'm 20% Neanderthal. Yeah, you're I, like, have,
0: oh. I have less than average. Oh, do you? I have less than average Neanderthal introgression. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that. Um, what does that mean for you? Nothing, but what surprised the dickens out of me was I always thought I was one fourth Sicilian. Oh, and you weren't? Well, I'm like 23% italian Mm -hmm. two percent north african
2: oh interesting
0: yeah and and it's this all gets so i mean this is a whole this all gets so complicated because there's all kinds of things how accurate is it there's all kinds of things in your lineage that don't pass down you know parentally mm -hmm. like it's it's just it's a whole other conversation but yeah i I took note of being less neanderthal than average Mm -hmm for the number of people who've submitted themselves to the testing. But still a little bit. So yeah, the yeah. Neanderthals, yeah, they didn't, it wasn't like the last one one day faded away and died. Right. They were somehow interbreeding with modern humans.
2: Yeah. So anyway, the idea is that maybe Bigfoot is another one of these like relic hominid species that has existed. That, you know. And
0: traveled a yeah. long damn ways.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, pretty much most most hominids did travel fair distances.
0: But that's a long ways.
2: It's a long ways. Um, and then the other theory is that Bigfoot is descended further back on the evolutionary tree and is more closely related to primates and is descended from an ancient Asian ape called Gigantopithecus, of which there is very little information. They have some jaws and like several hundred teeth, several thousand teeth, and that's it. They don't have any long bones. They don't mm-hmm. have any anything that would really help with descriptor. So some people think, okay, gigantopithecus, look at the size of the jaw, look at the size of the teeth. This thing must have been huge. And some people say this thing ate a lot of coarse grass and fibrous plants and needed a big jaw and big teeth to be able to get through that kind of food. And probably wasn't that big, but nobody knows. So everything, all of this stuff is just theoretical.
0: What is the most fashionable idea in the community about what they eat?
2: Uh, bear, same stuff as bears. It's very omnivorous. That's what I heard over and over again. Is like if it's if an area can support a bear population, it can support a Bigfoot population.
0: And they're, and so that will kill and eat meat.
2: Um, I think so.
0: Yeah. There's a guy. Um, I own a cabin in Southeast Alaska, mm-hmm. and I bought it from a guy who bought it from a guy who bought it from a guy. Who had had a Bigfoot? Who had found a nest? Oh, really? On Prince of Wales Island. Okay. And he found the nest because uh, he found the nest because he could smell it.
2: I've heard that Bigfoot smells very bad. This is actually something that's come up in. So you and
0: there's rumor in that part, in those parts, mm-hmm. that the this Bigfoot population that exists out on this island, mm-hmm. which creates a whole problem for it. It's not an limited
2: island. resources, unless it's getting unless stuff shipped got, in. They
0: got John boats. It's a huge island. Okay, like it can support you know sports thousands and thousands of black bears, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a, some these folks feel there's a sustainable a handful of people that I've run into feel there's a sustainable population of them out there, or that, that that's that's existed over the eons. Mm-hmm. Um, that they like to stick deer up in trees. I've heard Did that they stash their deer up in trees.
2: Cougars do that too, though, don't they?
0: No, they don't stash them in trees. They don't. No, leopards do that.
2: Yeah, that's true. But cougars
1: don't.
0: They bury them at the bases of trees. Okay. They scratch up dirt and sticks and leaves and wedge them. You hear them wedge sometimes them drug up
1: onto rocks. I uh, I, I... Under.
2: So they're caching them.
0: You say under or onto? Onto. Oh, that I don't. I didn't. That doesn't surprise me, but I haven't heard that. I've never heard of a mountain lion dragging a deer up into a tree. We'll say this, and then someone's going to have a bunch of pictures of <laughs> having had it.
2: You're going to get a letter.
0: Yeah, but leopards stash them in trees. Mm-hmm. Um, where was I going with that?
2: Uh, you, A guy had a cabin.
0: Oh, he was a believer in the nest. But I had another <laughs> thing about that. What about it? What was it? What the was smell, it? The smell. You were
2: talking about the smell. It, the
0: smell that he, he went by, that he located it based on its odor.
2: Bears, I hear, don't smell very good either, though. There was a there was a grizzly attack in the park like two years ago, Yellowstone National Park. Um, and it was actually a, a, the kid of a friend of my parents, I think, and he just got ripped to shreds, lived. But he said the things he remembers the most was how bad it smelled. Yeah,
0: I've mm. smelled all manner of bears. How do they smell? I haven't found it to be pleasant. No, I haven't found it to be on. Un, oh, like, really? un, unpleasant. Okay. I guess it depends what it had been into.
2: Yeah, I guess how it depends on how close your face it is. It could to have something. I wouldn't too. be surprised
0: that it would have something all over its fur that might smell. But yeah. Like they don't have like a bad like like they don't have like a general odor about Not them. Not like a skunk all, or something. It's no, off-putting at all. Okay. So yeah, I've heard I, the
2: smell I, thing a number of times, and you were asking about evidence. The one other thing that still sort of makes me question is the eyewitness accounts that I've heard. Some oh. of them are just crazy.
0: Can we, can we can I, I, hold on to that. Cause, yeah. I, want, cause okay. I, know, I know what we were talking about. We were talking about like the diet. So diet would be similar to a black bear.
2: Yeah. That's the thought.
0: And it, they might eat meat. Mm-hmm. Fish.
2: Pretty much anything they can get their hands on. Yeah. I was also told that they like fruit pies.
0: Is that right? Yeah. I remember reading the thing that researchers, <laughs> the Bigfoot researchers will try to lure them in with watermelons.
2: Oh, That's a new one. I'd heard like fruit pies, but my feeling is, if you put a fruit pie out, you're going to get raccoons. I I mean, anything anything under the sun, campers nearby, like
0: yeah, anybody who knows is going to walk in the door of the fruit pie.
1: And then, so anything that eats something has uh, excrement. How how do they explain the lack of that? Yeah,
0: do they clean up their own droppings?
2: Yeah, Uh, there's a theory they might bury them. Oh. Um. But yeah, there is no... So there's a, a guy at New York University who's a molecular primatologist. And he's, got, you know, he's an anthropologist, and he works in DNA. And he does not think Bigfoot is real. He said the chances are adjacent to zero. But he's one of these guys that's just fascinated by the phenomenon. And he will work with a few very select researchers. If they raise the money um, and send them hit their samples, he will run tests on them. And he says, I just get so much bear crap. Because mm. people will send it in, they'll be like, "I found this," and then he'll run it through the test, and it's bare yeah. over and over and over again. Nothing, nothing different.
0: Is it true that right now someone still has a million dollar reward out for a dead Bigfoot?
2: That's a distinct possibility. Um, there is a guy named Tom Biscardi,,
0: mm-hmm.
2: who I think put up a uh reward. For that.
0: For a carcass. Yeah. What do they feel, the, the people you interviewed, what do they feel is happening to the Bigfoot carcasses?
2: Um, like they're why, scavenged. They're saying, you know, how often do you see a bear carcass in the woods? And all me, the time. See, I've never seen one.
0: I find bear skulls, not, I shouldn't say all the time, but I've found a bunch of bear skulls. Okay, well a then. A bunch of bear remains.
2: The idea, their, their theory is that you don't find bodies of animals in the woods very often. That they get scavenged, that the porcupines eat the bones, that the bones get scattered as the animals, you know, it dies. It's 800 pounds of stinking meat and it just gets eaten up. No. That's their theory. But. I have not, as as someone who's hiked and camped pretty much their whole life, not probably not as far into the backwoods as you've gone. In fact, I'm 100% positive of that. Um, But I have only ever seen one dead full dead skeleton ever.
0: Yeah. It was a
2: deer and it was gone by three months later.
0: But it they but the but but bones are captured in the paleontological record. You're like La Brea tar pits.
2: They are and they're not. This was actually another interesting conversation I had with a guy named Ian Tattersall who is the um is a anthropologist out at the American Museum of Natural History in New York. And he said, it is incredibly hard to become a fossil.
0: But things manage to become fossils. They
2: do. But what we have available to us is only a very small fraction of what the full fossil record is. Because if you think about it, you have to die in the right place, at the right time, under the right conditions. It has to be the right kind of material that you're buried in. And then you have to be uncovered at the right moment and, the, the, and the, the elements and the conditions can't be wearing it down, and you have to be discovered by someone.
0: Yeah, but okay. But, but, it's, but it's, hold, think about this for a minute. Uh huh. We're talking about a population of, give or take, maybe 2,000 things that weigh 800 pounds, mm-hmm. 6 to 800 pounds. Mm-hmm. There is no other large mammal that exists in North America that we don't find the remains of all the time. All of our large mammals get hit by cars every year. Even when you had 50 Florida Panthers, Mm -hmm. when the population was as low as 50, multiple ones would get hit on the highway every year Mm -hmm. in Florida. It's like, you can't say that, you you can't look someone in the eye and explain to them why that 2,000 animals that have coexisted with humans here Mm -hmm not just, like, never mind, like, co- coexisted with Native Americans for what we now know to be at least 15,500 years, coexisted with Euro-Americans here for hundreds of years that no one's ever found a bone. Because we find, like, all of our other large mammals are well-established in the paleontological record. Mm-hmm. You go to La Brea Tar Pit, the Librea Tar Pits, dozens of mammoths. Mm -hmm. hundreds of dire wolves. Every creature that we know would show up there routinely. So it is a real problem Mm -hmm. to say that there is a thing that's alive right now. That we don't have any bones for. Because the porcupines got them all.
2: (laughs) I know. These are big damn bones. I know. know. The one other thing that has been presented to me is that the DNA analysis on a lot of bones is fairly recent. So if somebody found bones before... And they ended up in a collection somewhere. They are not running, and Ian Tattersall told me this. I said, you know, well, what if we've got all these, you know, hominid species that we're finding now, what else is there? What have we misidentified in these collections of bones that yeah. all the museums have? He said, There nobody's going back and digging through those collections because there's no glory in that essentially. It's like if you find the new thing out in the world, that's exciting. But who wants to go back to the storeroom and be the guy sorting through the bones and running analysis on those?
0: Yeah, like maybe someone's like, Man, this must have been an eight hundred pound person. Yeah.
2: Or like a, you know, this is a weird bare bone and then it ends up in some locker somewhere and nobody ever does anything with it. I'm not saying that that's the case, but I think that, you know, people will find reasons to make this creature real.
0: Yeah. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. You'll get exclusive deals as a member too. Sign up at butcherbox.com/meat eater and get our special deal. Butcherbox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com/meat eater. Make sure you use code MEATEATER to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus $20 off your first order. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecova's is your stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited-edition offerings this spring, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. And Tacova's has First Wear Comfort. Meaning you put them on, they feel great. Little or no break-in, period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Just ask my buddy Chili. Who's been slipping around in his Tacoba boots talking about how great he
1: feels in them. He loves them. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable. They're very fashionable. And I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go around Bozeman. Stop by your local Tacoba
0: store. Have a complimentary drink and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding. To make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events. There's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store. Just visit Tacova's.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today. This show is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Now we all carry around different stressors. Big ones. Little ones. When you keep these things bottled up. It can start to affect you in a very negative way. Well therapy is a great space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down like figure it out that means figure it out with someone who's impartial who's able to sit down and hear what you have to say and think it through with you if you're thinking of starting therapy give better help a try it's entirely online designed to be convenient flexible and suited to your schedule just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, there's no there's no such thing. It's like you're not so tough. You're not so tough that it doesn't do you some good to talk to somebody now and then about what's on your mind, okay? Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MeatEater today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash MeatEater uh, can we talk about sightings? Yeah, this eyewitness accounts. Yeah, and I bet you will. I want to get around to like why all you're this. You're going to get letters about
2: this. I'm I want to sure. get around to
0: why all this matters. Let's <laughs> talk about eyewitness. Yes.
2: Yeah. Um, I heard. Like, a, what's your perspective? These are actually the hardest thing for me to throw out because I, some of the people I talk to are you know 30 year U.S. Forest Service, fishing, game, BLM. Like they're outside all the time familiar with wildlife, familiar with the ecosystems that they're in, and then they see something that completely alters their view of the wildlife out there. Mm-hmm. And Their beliefs. Yeah, their beliefs. And it's hard for me to throw that out because they clearly had an experience that shook them. Whether it's Bigfoot, I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I wasn't part of it. But it clearly is something that has just rocked them to their core.
0: Did you talk to a lot of people who had eyewitness accounts? Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about a couple? Like, a, tell me about a couple of the ones that like surprised you. Where you're like, wow, this seems like a sane, rational person.
2: Yeah, So one of them came from a guy named John Myanzinski. He is um he lives down in Wyoming, in Atlantic City, if you know where that is.
0: Atlantic City, Wyoming? Yeah. No, I don't.
2: Teeny Tiny. It's sort of it's not far from Pinedale.
0: Okay, I know Pinedale.
2: Yeah. All civilization you'll ever need, according to their sign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um He was working for must have been the Forest Service at the time. And it was his turn to go out and run this sort of scouting thing. They were doing research on bighorn sheeps, sheep, not sheeps, yeah. <laughs> big feets. Um, and he went in, got his gear from the, the depot and grabbed his stuff and then like headed out into the woods. And on the way out the door, this guy yells to him, Hey, I spilled bacon grease on that tent, just FYI.
0: Okay.
2: So he goes out and pitches. This is
0: Wyoming. This is this, not Bigfoot this country. This is
2: Wyoming. Um,
0: Arid, open.
2: Well, not all of it. There's forest over there. Yeah, it's pretty arid and
0: open. I mean, just in general, as a state. I think he was
2: in the winds. Yeah. Um, and he was camped out there in the forest somewhere, and had gone to sleep, and then woke up to the sound of something breathing, and for a while thought it was a bear, and then he said it sounded different from a bear. It sounded like maybe a sick bear.
0: Okay.
2: And then whatever it was kind of came up to the tent and pushed its its face in. He thought right where that bacon grease spot is and he's like well damn it's a bear so he like yells and like whacks it on the nose to try and scare it off and it runs off back behind the sort of um the uh, dog hair pines that were on the edge of his camp Mm -hmm. and here's it breathing again then it comes back a second time and does the same thing and he does that hits it again then it comes back a third time and this time it seems like it's over top of the tent because he can silhouette see it silhouetted over the top. The moon was full. And he thinks it's holding onto the lodgepole pine above his tent. And he's standing there, kind of, or he's sitting in the tent trying to figure out what he's going to do to sort of scare this thing off. And then another face sort of presses itself into the bacon grease stain. And he's like, well, it's a mama bear and her cub. Like, this is the worst possible situation to be in. But he wants to sort of like get them away from the tent so he whacks it again and this time it's not soft like a nose it's like rock hard and it whatever this thing is he throws it off its balance and it comes crashing down onto the tent he's getting out of the tent and trying to wiggle his way out of it and then the thing takes off and it's big that's all he can tell and it's hiding behind these pines on the edge of camp and he's sitting by the fire with a blanket over him and his 45 in his lap and just thinking what the hell is this thing and then whatever it is starts lobbing pine cones at him and lobs 30, 40 pine cones. And he's not in any hurry to get away from the fire. And then the thing kind of just shuffles off. And the next morning he gets up and he looks to see if there's any footprints or, you know, bear tracks or anything like that. And there's too much pine duff, so he can't see what it is. So he goes, get, gets up his stuff, goes back into um, the station and tells his boss about it. And it's his his boss who says, I think you might have had a Bigfoot encounter because apparently there'd been a bunch of people who had reported something similar uh, in that area over the past few months. And this is a guy who worked on the lunar exploration module in the 60s when he was like a a graduate student or an undergrad in college. He'd worked in fish and wildlife. He'd worked with BLM. He's very soft-spoken. He's not grandstanding. Um... Just like yeah. rational. Like he he's just like the kind of guy that he just was so down to earth. And he tells you the story and you're just like, mm-hmm. what was it? And he's like, I still don't, you know, to this day, I still don't know.
0: Hit me with another one. Okay. I like these. <laughs> I got no comment.
2: You got to listen to episode four. They're full of them. Um, another guy I talked to was a guy named Derek Randles, who is up in the Olympic Peninsula. And he's actually one of the- That's main,
0: Bigfoot country.
2: Yeah. And he is one of the founders of the Olympic Project because of an experience he had in the 80s where he'd gone out camping. He was back. They were in the back country. He and a couple of friends. And um, they were setting up. They were getting ready to set up camp on this sort of ridgeline, maybe a quarter mile- half mile off the trail that they'd taken up and something started throwing rocks at them. First, they were all coming into the right of them. and Then they were all coming into the left and then they could hear this thing sort of coming through the trees at them. And they all flipped out, grabbed up their packs and like took off down the trail. And then Derek remembered he had a gun in his bag. Um, and so he, you know, pulled off the pack, pulled out the gun, and then he saw this thing standing in the trees, just staring at him. And I asked him, well, what was it? And he said, it was eight feet tall. It was just absolutely enormous. And he just said, it just scared the bejesus out of him. And these are the kinds of stories I heard where people were kind of out doing their own thing. They're used to being in the wilderness. They grew up being outside. They're not the kind of people who are going to be easily startled by the animals and the things that they see out there. And this just really changes
0: everything for them. Yeah. Do you you have a background as a journalist? I do. Yeah, you are a journalist. Yes. Um, why is it that journalists? What is it about journalists' attraction to people who believe in Bigfoot? Like I, I, I'm obviously part of this. Uh huh. I'm wanting to talk to you. Yeah. Because this is like, like for me to talk about it, I got to talk about it to someone like you. For you to talk <laughs> about, it, you want to talk about it to the actual people who right. I'd, I'd have more of a difficult you, time. You
2: with need it. to have a little bit. You need to like of separation. The, I like the
0: buffer. Yeah. Because I can, because I can just get the questions that I have answered mm-hmm. better if there's like a layer between. Yeah. That. But but why do journalists like the story?
2: Uh, well, I think part of it is it is it is a colorful story. No matter how you slice it, like. There is a lot of color to this. There was a, you know, last fall, there was a, uh, well, this fall, it is still fall. There was a Bigfoot festival held in North Carolina and probably six different. <laughs>
1: North, North Carolina. Every That's state, every country? state, but ha-
2: every state, but Hawaii. Um, <laughs> There was probably like six or seven journalism outfits that showed up there because it's, you know, it's, you know, it's it's, zany. It's zany. And it's, you're going to talk to characters. Right. It's going to be interesting. And you know, especially, I think, right, well, anytime, anytime when the news is difficult and hard to swallow and there's a lot of, of hard things going on, you're looking for stories that will get people interested. But won't necessarily turn into like a political knife fight, so yeah, to speak. I got you. Um, and I will say, Bigfoot is a fairly uh, universal topic. I, you know, aside from my accountant, who, there's only and you who hates Bigfoot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's been I have not had a conversation yet with anyone who's not. First, they'll like laugh or they'll kind of joke about it and be like, "Oh, this is dumb," but then they have all these questions. So yeah, yeah. So there's something about Bigfoot that people do find appealing and the journalists are among them.
0: There's a thing I've talked about a bunch. Mm-hmm. And I, I need to go like reread it to make sure I'm getting it right. But no doubt you're familiar with the writer Joan Didion. Yes. Okay. Early, It's early in Slouching Towards Bethlehem or early in the White Album.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's early in Slouching Towards Bethlehem. Um, she talks about a way in which people and this is she's writing pre-internet okay Mm -hmm. so she wrote this before the internet came out but she's talking about a way in which people rebel against information i'm paraphrasing what she's saying Mm
3: -hmm.
0: but there's people who as information becomes so available and we know about so much Mm -hmm. and we can find out about so much there's a way to rebel against information by like tenaciously grabbing onto rumors and myths and conspiracies because it gives you a sense of knowing something that everyone else just can't see this thing that like i know the truth
2: i'm special i'm inside i'm i'm aware and all the rest of you people are not aware yeah and that gets that that's the conspiracy theory thing too i think that just gets taken to the sort of at very extreme level, but it's this idea that somehow I have knowledge about things that you don't, and that makes me special.
0: Yeah, you're rebelling against widely held information to become that, like you know the truth, but no one can see it. Yeah, and it's like a type of mind frame, mm-hmm. or it's a mindset.
2: Yeah, and I did you, you know-
0: find that mindset in in your in the time you spent with Bigfoot believers?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you know i've I've found that in a lot of the different people that I've ended up talking to over the course of my journalism careers. People like to feel like somehow they have knowledge, somehow they're different, somehow they stand out somehow they're they're able to separate themselves from what society is trying to make you do or what the government's trying to tell you to do or what you know conventional wisdom is um the part I've never understood is why. Why is there that need to feel special? Special. I mean, we all have it. Yeah. I think, and to some degree, pretty much everybody wants to feel like they're an individual. They're different. They're not just thinking things because someone has told them to think those things. But uh, yeah, where does, where that comes from, I don't know.
0: Is the Bigfoot world predominantly male?
2: I expected it to be more male than it was. There were quite a few women and actually next summer I've been invited to go on an all-women's month-long Bigfoot expedition. You going to do it? I'm going to do I think I'll probably go on part of it because these were some women I met before, really nice, and part of what they really want to do is they just want to educate people about being outside, too. Like, you know, that screaming sound is not a Bigfoot. That is an owl. You know, that this is how you set up a proper camp. Like part of it is wilderness education in some ways, which is part of the reason I think I also like Bigfoot is because it's, I don't know, I'd rather have people go out and look for Bigfoot than play video games. I think that's a more valuable use of your time.
0: When you were doing your research for your podcast series, Mm -hmm. tell us the name of the podcast series. We all want to hit it multiple times.
2: Wild Thing.
0: Wild Thing. Singular. Two words. Two words. Singular. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: When you were doing the research, did you, you came into it thinking it was Holcomb. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you vacillate through your journey?
2: A little bit. Like the first time I saw those nests, I was like, this is weird. Like this is not something I've seen before. And, you know, again, I do not have the level of expertise that you guys have with being out in the woods. But I grew up in Idaho camping and hiking and being outside. And this was not like something I had seen before. And then you would hear, someone would show you, they'd be like, oh, I've got a picture of a Bigfoot footprint. You got to see it. And you'd get your hopes up. You'd be like, this is going to be it and it would look like a puddle and you're like oh that's nothing yeah so there you know there was a lot of kind of this back and forth and especially like i said when i heard those stories from people those those were hard for me to dismiss because it's hard to say to someone you didn't see that like you're just making stuff up like that they it just wasn't that kind of situation
0: did you did you find yourself needing to act like you were more of a believer than you were
2: no um i mean i when i went into this and no matter where i went i made it very clear i'm going coming into this as an objective observer you know tell me what your experience has been tell me what you've seen tell me about your evidence but i haven't made up my mind one way or, or the other
0: would the people you talk to feel that it was a betrayal that you right now you know Like the way we like to put it if god came and put a gun to your head
2: wow and said
0: (laughs) and said is bigfoot real or fake you you'd say fake in this situation right yeah would they feel like it's a betrayal that you that you would say that now they might. Is there like a, there like a of code might. of honor here where you're supposed to believe when you're in the community?
2: No, I don't think so. Because I would ask questions. I ask people a lot of questions, you know, and I ask them too, like, how can you keep going out day after day or year after year and look for this thing when there is so little, when there is no physical evidence? And they'd say, you know, sometimes it's hard, but I just, I really think it's out there. Like, I think they understand too that what they have is very tenuous. There are pe- some people who are adamant that there is proof. But a lot of people, I think, are quite shaky on it. But it's something that they want.
0: Do they feel protective of it? Like, let's just say for a minute. Let's say for a minute that all of a sudden, uh, one gets hit by a car. hmm Okay? He's crossing I-5, you know, where it runs up through Washington.
2: It's was like <laughs> down in L.A.? Bummer. No.
0: He's, coming, <laughs> you know, he's, he's migrating eastward. Yep. He, he's like... The headed genet- out to spokane well wyoming has yeah. them yep there's gotta be some genetic exchange there i mean there can't be a thriving population in wyoming so there mm-hmm. has gotta be they, they migrate he's headed east out of the olympic peninsula gets whap hit on hit on the highway it's a pregnant female whoa right gets rich right pregnant female all of a sudden it's like wow they were right would the people you met uh would they be like great and then, the, and then the real scientific community comes in, and it becomes this whole thing. Would it would it lose its luster?
2: I think there's an element of that. Um, I think there is some recognition that if Bigfoot was emphatically proved to be a real species, that your your citizens, sasquologists, your your amateur Bigfooters, they're gonna get kind of cut out of the cut out of the game yeah yeah because it's going to be government scientists and you know primatologists from all the finest research institutions and all these forests are going to be off limits and you know all of a sudden it it is going to be it's going to be a very different thing if that were to happen and I imagine I'm sure they've thought about the fact that if Bigfoot is in fact proved to be real then what what do you do then yeah you're not going to be able to pursue it with the same abandon.
0: Are, are you familiar with the comedian Joe Rogan? Yes. Joe feels that uh, he spends he spent some time looking at mm-hmm. similar to you, but from a, from a comedian perspective, mm-hmm. d- digging into the world. I don't want to use the word that he used, but he used the word that like he found that bigfoot researchers are. Um, white men that people would not want to make love to. Oh, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> he, he had a term like I'm, unable. Yeah, i am
2: mm-hmm. I can guess. Yeah. Um
0: that there was a, that there's like a yeah, uh, that but there's like, a sort of that, 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 that there's a sort of pulling away from that there's a sort of pulling away from the normal exchanges and mm-hmm. and, and things that make up our lives among this community.
2: I didn't feel that honestly. Feel no, I I mean I thought thought it was actually a very robust social community. Mm-hmm. Like everything I went to was like a big family reunion and people would come in from all over and they were buddies and
3: you yeah, know. Okay.
0: Yeah, okay.
2: I mean I think in any group I don't know. That just seems kind of mean to me. And oh, yeah. I don't I don't. He's a, well, he's yeah, a comedian. He's, yeah, I know.
0: Like his like okay. You know, I he, he also to... made the joke that like why is no one mad at Bob Marley for having shot a sheriff? <laughs>
2: It's a good question.
0: Right. He's just a, hes, just, he's yeah. a comedian.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so. um, I specifically went in with the idea that I didn't want to be making fun of people and being mean. Um, I can see his point, but there's a lot of subcultures in American society that are filled with a similar descriptor. Like, I think you can, I think it's unfair to just be like, oh, big pe- Bigfoot people are not the kind of people you'd want to have a relationship with. You know, yeah. I'm not going to say anything else because I don't want to get hate mail. But there's, sure. there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of subcultures that are filled with people you might not consider conventionally attractive or interesting or socially <laughs> adept. I mean, Silicon Valley is like loaded with them.
0: Yeah, so I bet guys. you a lot of people would say the exact same thing about
1: hunters. Right. Yeah. Big game hunters. Ew. Mm-hmm. But a broad broad stroke of folks. Uh huh. It wasn't like a particular demographic that you found.
2: White. Largely white, some Native American, but I would say that that like if you had to do a demographic term for it, it's it, this is a, a whiter phenomenon.
0: Yeah, and I don't think there's too much you can really read into that. that no, because the hunting community has a lot to do with, has has to be with, with yeah. demographics, yeah. demographics distribution, rural.
2: Right, and the pet kinds of people who are going to be out in the woods to begin with. I actually had a really long conversation with a woman named Rue Map, who started a group called Outdoor Afro which is to get more African-Americans comfortable with going out into the woods. And she and I had a big conversation about this. And she said, look, you know, up until very, very recently, for Black and for African-Americans to be outside in the woods, that was a a sketchy proposition, not because of bears or cougars, but because of, like, other things that would potentially cause a lot of harm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's all... It's relative on who's going to be out in the woods and, and doing those kinds of things to begin with.
0: Yeah. No, I don't read, I don't read yeah. a whole bunch into that one. Is there things that, uh, Are there things that I haven't asked you about that you wish I was going to ask you about? Just do those things for a minute.
2: <laughs> um, Just state the
0: question within your answer.
2: State the question within my answer.
0: <laughs> like things that I really ought to know about. Like things you were dying to talk about that we didn't touch on. I
2: feel like we got to a lot of it. I think the one thing I do kind of want to talk about is what the appeal comes from, like why people do want Bigfoot to be real.
0: Okay, so not you as a journalist.
2: Uh, no, I actually, yeah, yeah me too. Oh. This, this also gets to why I want Bigfoot to be real. Okay. Because um, my feeling is is um, if you can't imagine the possibility of Bigfoot, if you can't imagine a landscape that's like wild enough and, and – oh. Can, that they can hold something like Bigfoot, that everything's already so mapped out and pruned and paved and like, uh, you know, it's all on Google Maps. It kind of sucks the magic out a little bit. Like there's something, I don't want to talk about magical Bigfoot, but there is something magical about Bigfoot, about something like a creature that's clever enough to elude us that can exist in this wilderness out there that has a lot of appeal.
0: I hadn't thought of it in that way. Yeah. That it's, a belief, that it's a belief in wilderness. Yeah. When you say that to me, I haven't thought about it, but what comes to my mind pretty quickly is that right now, in pondering wildlife mm-hmm. and in pondering wilderness, mm-hmm. I think that realism is real important.
3: Mm-hmm. I think that,
0: that, that instead of exaggerating its potential – It's really important right now to look at it as a finite thing that is there because we're making a commitment to having it there Mm -hmm. and that it's not this unknown, unconquered thing.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: That's something
0: that we get and we can count it down to the acre and we can watch it vanish.
2: Or we can protect it.
0: And that it's not... Like, like anything that fosters this idea of it, and it's the thing you find, you know, it's the thing you find often with people who I would call like people like like outsiders or people who are not accustomed to being in wilderness, thinking about wilderness, that they look at. I sometimes think that they have a naive perspective
3: mm-hmm.
0: about what its potentials are. You know,
3: mm-hmm.
0: that it could that what we have left could harbor a six hundred pound primate. You're like, it's not like that anymore, man. We're he, down see, to the
1: last little nubbins. See, even <laughs> use the term vast anymore in, in our wilderness is almost a stretch, right?
2: But isn't that kind of depressing? Uh, no, no for I'm sure. comfortable
0: with people using vast when they know what the relative picture they're trying to present is. Like, I use it too. But to be that, um, I think it almost like oversells where we're at right now, that it could hide.
2: The greatest ape that ever lived?
0: Yeah. That it could hide 2,000. Because look at what's going on with the with the giant gorilla.
2: Mm-hmm. Go on. Tell me about the giant gorilla.
0: They're vanishing.
2: You're talking about the gorillas in Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Silver. Silverbacks.
0: Yeah. There's very few. They vanish. We find them dead all the time. hmm There's no mystery there. So There was just... a mystery for a very long time though, mm-hmm.
2: for thousands of years. And the there, was Greeks...
0: a mis- there was a mystery around panda bears, right? Yep.
2: And species do crop up from time to time, although they tend to be more ocean species than
0: terrestrial. Yeah, I even read for a while, someone was comparing the hunt for Bigfoot with the hunt for the giant squid. Oh, okay. And here's the giant squid, man, a very mysterious thing. Lives deep in the darkest zones of the oceans. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: It was a mythological creature. Mm -hmm. But now and then, now and then, every now and then, yep. One of them sons of bitches washes up on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> and there it is. And then you got to wrestle with the fact that there it is.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that it's a, a logical belief, yeah. but I think that it does touch on something that's important to humans and important, has been important for a long time. Tell me that. This idea that something outside the campfire ring, the the thing lurking in the woods that maybe we're not in control, that maybe we're not the toughest species out there on the planet that maybe you know you like well at least most people i know sort of like that that thrill down the back of their spine mm-hmm. and a little sense of mystery and a little sense of of the unknown and even if that is not the reality anymore people still want that
0: but why can't they be maybe this is my gripe why can't they be happy and inspired by what is there?
2: I think a lot of them are, but I think of them want more. I think people want more.
0: They always <laughs> it's never want more. Enough.
2: It never is enough. I mean, look at us as a species. What we have is never enough. That's a good point. We want robots that drive our cars. We want, uh, we want to have the blood of younger people so we can stay young. We want to bottle our consciousness. We want to live forever. Like It's never enough. We're living at the best point in time you could ever live for humans and still they want more.
0: Yeah. It's never enough. It's never enough. Yanni, yeah,
1: would you would you like <laughs> Bigfoot to be real?
0: Uh, I, I don't have an opinion about it. If all someone got hit on I5, yeah, it would cause I can't say that I would like it. It would cause me to reevaluate everything I've ever thought it would change everything for me um yeah it would shake me up it would shake me up i would all of a sudden become i would, at that point would become obsessed
2: would you invite I, me back to talk to you again
0: yes okay good
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> i would become i would become
0: obsessed and i would in my primary thing would be how is it possible that we missed it right and then i would hold these people grover mhm Grover Krantz. Grover Krantz. I would all of a sudden think that he was an American hero and a genius. And I would go to Rushmore and I would, like, uh, you know, scrub someone's face off there and chisel his up on there. I wouldn't take OTR down, but someone would, uh, (laughs) yeah, I would be like, what a visionary. And it would, everything would be different. But I'm not worried about one getting hit on (laughs) I-5. Um, what else we got? Do you got? Are there more points you want to bring up? You want to, you want to plug the podcast a little bit about how people can go find it? Yeah. Because they'll learn way more doing that than they will listen to this. That,
2: that's, a good, that's probably a good point.
0: You're comfortable with that? Yeah, I'm comfortable
2: <laughs> with that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so the podcast is available on pretty much any platform you get your podcasts on iTunes, or Apple Podcasts. You can't call it iTunes anymore. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, for the sports people out there. Um, Google... Play has it. Uh, I know there's another one that I'm forgetting. iHeartRadio, Radio, whatever they are. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's available on all those platforms. You can also, if you don't feel comfortable with podcasts, you can find it on our website, which is wildthingpodcast.com. Just stream
0: direct. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we also
2: have some cool t-shirts there.
0: Is it a to thing to not feel comfortable with Apple podcasts?
2: Well, I think if there are some people who maybe are a little older and don't quite Either don't have a smartphone or don't necessarily know how the technology works. It's just easier to go. And, you know, we're trying to be open to all – we're not ageist. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, There's a Facebook page, Wild Thing Pod. We're on Twitter, which is, you know, Twitter, Wild Thing Pod. Instagram, Wild Thing Pod. They're all the same.
0: And then zap people with a couple – Uh, zap people with a couple titillating details about things they'll find if they listen that we didn't cover today. Well,
2: you'll learn a little bit more about Grover because he's a pretty fascinating dude. You'll get some more. You'll get some fun stuff about evolution. Um, We'll talk a little bit about the different evidence that's in there. You get to hear more of these eyewitness encounters and they're way better told by the people who actually experienced them than they are by me. Um, There's a whole bunch of stuff about DNA which we didn't really get into but there's a lot of really cool info. About DNA that's not even necessarily Bigfoot related, that's just like blow your mind science, which is pretty awesome. Um, I go on a Bigfoot expedition. You can join me on that. And we get into the sort of cultural taboo around Bigfoot. and uh, the uh, all the different companies that use Bigfoot as the uh, you know, the mascot or the name or in their their uh, um, label somehow and why there is this sort of cultural or this commercial appeal. Um, All these companies have realized that even if uh, Steve here doesn't think Bigfoot is the neatest thing since sliced bread, there's a lot of people that do, and they'll spend money on those kinds of products.
0: Marketing Bigfoot. Marketing Bigfoot. (laughs) The exploitation of Bigfoot.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Here's the other thing. If Bigfoot ever realizes just how much exploitation is going on, I would not be surprised if it comes out of the woods and is like, Pay up. There's
0: going to be litigation.
2: <laughs> Trademark infringement.
0: All right. Yeah. So wild things. No, singular. Wild thing. oh Damn my. it. I know that. Wild thing. <laughs> wild thing.
1: Well, I was singular. surprised. I oh. got to say, I was listening over the weekend, uh-huh. you know, prepping. And uh, how much my oldest, my daughter, was just like following, because I just put it in my back pocket, you know, I'm listening to the podcast and walking around the house doing stuff. And she's like following along. And then they like, okay, well, hold on. You know, and she didn't. She's seven, you know. She can't mm-hmm. quite grasp everything, so there's a lot of stopping and pausing and asking questions. But it was—I found it to be very family-friendly because oh. I enjoyed having conversations with my daughter about nice. what she was hearing.
2: And that's the other thing. I know there are some swears in this one. I think there's like the S <laughs> word gets dropped like ten times over the course of the episodes, and there's a couple little risque areas. But I am going to release a clean version because I know a lot of people would prefer not to have swearing.
0: A kid-friendly version.
2: Yeah. Well, it'll be—it's basically going to be the same thing, but. I'm going to cut out the swear words and some of the sexy stuff and uh, um, have that available starting in January, I think.
0: Oh, I got one last thing, man. Oh, yeah. You good? Yeah. Yeah, it's making me nervous how, like, how I keep thinking you're dressed up. I realize the only thing you did different is you tucked your shirt in. (laughs) But it makes me nervous. Like, there's something going on. I made
1: an impression. There's like
0: something going on in your life I don't know about.
1: You just tucked your shirt in. No, I felt like we had a special guest, you oh. know, to make sure, you
2: know. She I didn't dress like, up I know, pro. I didn't. I'm so embarrassed. I, think I even a Everybody looks very nice.
0: <laughs> um, shit, what was I just going to say?
2: You had a question. Sexy stuff. I didn't know if that was...
0: Oh, here's the thing. Erotica? Can you tell me... No. Can you tell me what the Bigfoot community has to say about this? Look at trail cams, man. I know. Trail cams have rewritten the story of wildlife mm-hmm. in America. This was my question. Distribute, like just distribution issues and, like, all, not just in America, all around the world. mm -hmm. It's rewriting our understanding of where, of, of the distribution maps of certain species.
2: And what they're doing.
0: What is it? What do the Bigfoot guys have to say about the lack of trail cam footage?
2: That they're smart enough to
0: avoid them. Oh.
2: Or Bigfoot is blurry
0: and invisible, could be invisible. The fourth dimensional one, I can see you cannot, because <laughs> everyone knows you can't take a picture of a ghost.
2: Yeah, well, you can though. Isn't there like some? Wasn't there there's some the TV show that was like pictures of ghosts or something like that? I don't remember sure. the title. But there's, you can get the aura.
0: Yeah, they explain it away. Mm-hmm. Trail cams. Yeah, like they dodge the trail cams.
2: Mm-hmm. They can hear some high sort of high frequency something or other going on. Don't don't
1: like no, because there must it. be thousands of trail cams set specifically to catch Bigfoot at this point in time, right now. Yeah. I'm guessing. Right. You n- did, did you probably talk to people that say, yes, I own hundreds oh, and I have them set to catch Bigfoot.
2: These yeah, I mean I'm on I mean, the amount of money that gets spent on some of the gear, it's like Sennheiser Mics and FLIR and Night Vision and you know, high-end recording devices and trail cams. And, you know, we're talking like tens of thousands of dollars that gets spent on gear. And we don't have anything. Definitive. So they're bringing
0: trail cams into the fight. Oh, yeah. But they're, but to, yeah. But they're developing yeah. the idea that, ah, he knows and he avoids it.
2: Or she, or it, or they.
1: Well, yeah, there's
0: females. Yeah. Of course, you wouldn't have any. So they're like, damn it. Should have known Bigfoot, you can't catch much. Could be a good
1: there. source for some hunting spots if you know if you live in that area and you know a, a, a Bigfoot person. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you're, like, running, hey, uh, if you're running that kind see of thing, see any big bullshit.
2: Yeah. Here's the other thing is the the Bigfoot people though often aren't just out doing Bigfoot. Like they're out hunting. Like Bigfoot's just sort of it's on it's on the side in addition to the other stuff that they're they're doing out there. Like they're I think the first love in some cases is off in the woods and just being outside. And this becomes part of that experience.
0: I do got one last question for you. Okay. Is anyone in the community now still walking around with a gun? Yeah. There's still guys that would drop one if they saw it.
2: Uh, A couple of the ones I've talked to who are scientists said, yeah, like unless you have a body or a big piece of a body, you're never going to convince anyone.
0: And they condone the idea of seeing one and killing it.
2: Some of them do, yeah
0: no shit yeah a Understand lot of them aid. a
2: lot of them carry guns though for other wildlife what do you mean uh protection, bear, protection. yeah
0: but they would there's guys out there right now in the community that would be like i would kill it if i saw it mm-hmm. dude you want to see a blow up on social media
2: i'm i'm not I, I do not want to step into that mess you're welcome to go you go let me haul ghost. send me a note
0: there's no no. I'm saying that guy is going to get in major trouble
2: in the name of science. Well, that's what happened. to you want me to read the letter that Grover got or some of the letters, I've got them on my computer. You want to,
0: can we put them up in our show notes? Yeah. I don't see why not. That'd be the best thing for us. Okay. I'll send them to you. I'll send you a couple. I'd like to have them in the show notes. Yeah. And any other kind of great stuff. We'll put up the Bigfoot video, the famous thing from the fifties yeah. or sixties, 67. We'll put the show notes. We'll put up links for your stuff. Okay. Um,
2: yeah, I've got all kinds of photos and illustrations too. If you, I'll show them to you when we're yeah. done.
0: What uh, in your mind, from from what you looked at? Mm-hmm. Okay, but he, here's the thing. I got to with the email. I want to establish real quick. Okay, just give me a yes or no. Okay, do you believe? Do you believe that there's a that there that, 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 that Bigfoot in the way that we're discussing it? Mm-hmm. Not the one that passes through Dimensions. time, and space. Mm-hmm. Um, do you believe that there is the, the, the Bigfoot as a living, breathing, sustainable like like species, or as just a fluke, freak occurrence that was dropped off by an alien ship? Like, do you believe that it's true or not? Right now. Yeah, right now, no. sitting here right now. You don't.
2: No. But I, based on the evolution stuff and the long history of Native American stories there may have been something like Bigfoot once upon a time. Okay. That's sort of where I am. But here's the thing, and this is what I get to in this last episode. Based on the evidence, no, I don't think Bigfoot is real. But I still really want Bigfoot to be real because I like that idea so much. And I think that's where a lot of people
1: come down. Okay. Giannis is nodding I'm, his head. I'm with you there. Yeah, I feel the same way. Just the same way you feel about aliens, like right? Like there's no yeah. evidence. We there's, all, yeah. like No, there's not. But there's like, nothing. But yeah, if one shows up, I'll be like, hell
2: yeah, great. Unless they're trying to <laughs> kill next? you. Unless they're trying to kill you. <laughs>
0: but the, the problem with aliens <laughs> is that it's um it's a totally different conversation because it then is. you get into questions of inf- infinity. Yeah. You know. You mean
2: like the Fermi paradox? Well, or no, like,
0: there are like more planets. Oh, yeah. Than grains of sand on right. Earth. Mm-hmm. So you get into this, like, right? It's just a totally but different... It's like you're, you're dealing in such different it's concepts. A different scale entirely.
2: Yeah. But yeah. the fact, you know, if aliens existed, where are they? Why haven't they reached us, out to us by now? Or are we the most advanced species in in the entire galaxy? Or are we totally alone? Like, there's a lot of, like, questions around that, too. For sure. And, uh, and we've talked
0: about this a bunch before with aliens, is that... Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the physiologist, Jared Diamond. Yeah. Yeah, he talks about this idea that with with life in other places, that life takes so many different forms, and and planets have life cycles, and species have life cycles, and that of all the species that have ever existed on Earth, only one has developed the ability to transmit signals,
3: Mm -hmm.
0: like an electronic transmission of a signal Mm -hmm. after tens of thousands upon thousands of species one did that we haven't been doing it for very long right our future as a species is probably not terribly bright meaning like are we here in ten thousand years or have we self-obliterated so the fact that on some other planet that you'd have another species contemporaneous with ours trying to transmit electronic signals at this little blip in time that we are right it opens up like even if you ex- even if you can get over the hurdle of imagining other life mm-hmm. that it would somehow be contemporaneous with ours and have motivations and abilities and it's
2: using electronic signals to talk it could be using something else entirely like we don't yeah. well, it life could look like that coffee cup like we don't it could be coffee cup planet and they all yeah. look like that and we don't even know how to talk to them
0: so he doesn't put it out as evidence you can't put out the lack of communication as evidence that it's not there right Because,
2: well, science can't prove a negative.
0: Yeah, which is the which is the argument you hear with Bigfoot, right? Uh, But I also hear that some people, in reading about Bigfoot, I hear some people say the biggest piece of evidence against Bigfoot is all of the evidence
3: Mm -hmm.
0: because it's so contradictory. Mm -hmm. The tracks.
2: I've heard that argument too.
0: The tracks. But people can't agree on how many. All of the tracks that show up. Mm -hmm. Does it have five toes? Does it have six toes? Does it have four toes? What is the size and structure of the tracks? People mm-hmm. are like, that's a Bigfoot track, but there's no commonality between the Bigfoot tracks.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Descriptions of size, descriptions of diet, descriptions of sound.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It It's sort of it's Bigfoot. It's extremely contradictory. Bigfoot co- occupies this thing of like unknown things. And so people take like, they have a known concept of this thing, Bigfoot, and they take unknown things and force it into a shape that comes out being Bigfoot mm-hmm. to account Bigfoot? for the unknown.
2: Why, why is that the shape? That's another question that I kind of am interested in exploring too, is because so many cultures have something like Bigfoot. Think about Grendel, like Beowulf. Did you read Beowulf yeah. like oh, way yeah. back in the day? Grendel, the epic of Gilgamesh, like these giant, hairy, human-like creatures. Like There is something about that shape, as you're talking about, that fascinates us. And What is that?
0: And then uh, any any other final concluding thoughts?
2: Embrace Bigfoot. Okay. Just do it. I mean, it's 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 a...
0: Embrace the mystery.
2: Embrace the mystery and embrace the fun of it. I think that's part of it too, is it's meant, in some ways it's meant to be, there is a lot of fun that comes with this. You know, there's a lot of silliness and there's a lot of stupid stuff, but there's also just like, there's a lot of interesting science. There's a lot of interesting people and it's been a big part of American culture for a long time, so... They're you know, it's it's worth spending a little time. Yeah. Roughly four and a half hours to listen to my podcast, Wild Thing.
0: If you tag this on. <laughs> <laughs> Yanni, you, you got any concluders?
1: Uh no, other than uh you should definitely go listen to it. I I thought it found it thoroughly entertaining and enjoyable. So nice way to pass the time listening. Um Yeah.
0: Man, Bigfoot tears me up. <laughs> why, can't I, why can't it become fun for me too? I don't know. Why can't it? God, just not that kind of guy. <laughs> I'm going to try to make it more fun for me instead of just something that makes me pull my hair out. But obviously here I am sitting here.
2: I know. See? Even people who think Bigfoot is the dumbest thing they've ever heard of, they end can't, up asking me all kinds of questions. Help. You can't help yourself. Yeah, you can't.
0: I can't help myself. You heart him. No. I'm like, I, like <laughs> I, Yeah, I heart Bigfoot, man. Are
2: you, it, Maybe it's a frenemy thing.
0: You know what, maybe, you know what, it's probably a friend of, yeah, you're right. It's like I'm one of those people that, uh, you know, I'm one of those people that, you know, they get like a real axe to grind and their like primary thing in life is like fighting against something. Then you realize that that's what they do at night, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, I get it now. Mm -hmm. Yep. It was like this Mm self-loathing
2: You're a you're a self self loathing Bigfoot lover.
0: Yeah, and it's like you just can't.
2: We can start a support group. It's you. like a
0: flame that you can't. Pull I think Giannis away from. and I can
2: probably you know we can have online meetings and help you walk. Well, There's probably twelve and steps. And help to this me, program. yeah,
0: help me get to a point where I can just come out and say, you know what, I just love Bigfoot and I love talking what, about it.
1: I should probably know this from listening over the weekend, but what's like the first recorded Bigfoot? Sighting or evidence or anything how, how how many what span of years are we talking about that uh, this thing has been been around
2: well then there's tons of native american stuff um and some of them are sightings some of them are just more part of the mythology um but the one that i think most people stands out for most people came in the
1: 50s in california so it's a pretty new thing then for like modern american culture mm-hmm. Yeah, I got real fast. Seventy years. Yeah,
2: the first the first time the term Bigfoot was actually used was in the fifties,
1: fifty eight, I think. Yeah, fifty eight. Well, I was just gonna make the point that I feel like had you been around maybe in the sixties, it'd be just so much easier to dismiss it, right? It's something new. It's crazy. Like whatever. But now that it has seventy years behind it, of nothing. (laughs) Well, other than seventy years of false leads, (laughs) I'm a believer now, buddy. Well, I just think but of other must... things that also don't have a lot of like true solid evidence, but that have people have now believed in for many, many years and they sort of become more real and easy to believe to and latch on to mm-hmm. the more time yeah. goes by.
2: But you must have, I mean, the hunting community is full of
0: these stories. What stories? Bigfoot stories. I have talked about. Yeah, I mean, it's like you can't, you can't you can't like make a real
2: no. But I'm just saying you must have been like hearing about this from people who listen to your show. You know, I hear about
0: all the time. I, I used to live in Michigan's Upper Peninsula oh, for yeah. a very short period of time, and it was a thing up there. And even here here in Montana, like it was, it was a year ago or two years ago, a guy jumped out in front of a car with a bigfoot bigfoot suit on, got hit by the car, and killed him.
2: What? Yeah, I didn't catch that. Yeah, it was in northwest Montana. Yeah, I remember hearing about that.
0: So it's like you. Tr- like in trying to pray a prank on people, you traumatize someone who's not got to live with the idea they hit and killed. Well, them, and man. also you're dead. Yeah, but I mean, screw him. I mean, I don't mean that, but <laughs> I mean, it's like, but that, that's like your own call. I would get yeah. that out of. Yeah. There. No, no, no. That's your own call to make. <laughs> right. That's your own call to make. You want to If you, you want to put a suit on and jump in front of a car, that comes with inherent risks. Mm-hmm. That I think that anyone could point out to you.
2: But I'm just, but just saying, haven't you're you putting a
0: person, in, you're putting a motorist yeah. in the situation of having had to live with the fact that they killed you.
2: Right. But I'm wondering, have you heard stories from some of the hunters that you've interacted with and talked to that are similar to what I'm talking about, where it's these stories that have really sort of shaken them to their
0: core? I've heard stories from a lot of hunters about seeing inexplicable things in the woods. Okay. But not that in particular. Okay. I no doubt hang out with people who, um, I have a friend who tells a story of a mule deer that can blow bullets away by going, okay? So- Yes, I, I know and hang out with and associate with people who are open to the metaphysical, mm-hmm. um, but, but I do not.
2: Tell me more about this mule deer.
0: I don't know a lot about it. Oh, shoot. I don't want to delve into that could too be much my next, detail. That could, be se, that
2: could be season two. I,
0: oh, I was told about it. Um, one last thing for me.
1: We're good? Oh, well, yeah. Uh, that, that did brought up a, a thought that I had that I didn't make a note of, but uh, is there, is there season two? Do you see not a future? Not on a, Bigfoot. A no. Big
2: this is a one season thing, I'm moving on to the next thing.
0: What's the next
1: thing?
2: Not the Loch Ness monster, not the Yeti. No, uh, I, I, don't I know. went fishing in Loch Ness. Oh, did you? Yeah. So here's an interesting thing. So there's a scientist out in Scotland right now who says, Okay, I am gonna look for the Loch Ness monster. He doesn't think Loch Ness is real, but I'm gonna do this by doing DNA, environmental DNA analysis of the lake, and we will see what else has been in there. I think the chances of me finding a Loch Ness monster are slim to zero. But who knows what else has been in there? Because mm-hmm. they can get so much information out of these teeny tiny pieces of DNA now yeah. that it's like they can. You see, they might find DNA of ancient sharks. They might find all kinds of stuff. So that's one of the other cool things about this cryptozoology stuff is often you will use something like Loch Ness or Bigfoot or the Yeti as the hook to get people interested. And then you go out and find out all this other cool
0: stuff. Yeah, so you lure them in with bullshit, but then teach them something, something real and interesting. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't uh, know who we would do we, anything we like s- that. We but. don't necessarily. This, I think this you, is a really you, long wrap up. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying it's like a good thing. If the end result is that people know more about science, wildlife, outdoors, and whatever, it's great.
2: Yeah, if it gets them yeah, out into the, the woods.
1: Think of the risk you're running, though. Why not lure them in with something
0: that's not? Why not lure them in with? If we're going to talk about Washington State, basically. do all of the above. Why not lure him into the problem of the fact that, like, at this very moment, there may or may not be a grizzly bear on the U.S. side of the, you know, on the U.S.
1: side of the Northern Cascades? Yeah. I That's think a great question. That gets a certain segment of the population excited. Bigfoot gets other Let's people focus excited. there.
0: Because there we got a thing that really is mysterious and really does need some protection and really is something that, we need to get people on board with, or the fact that we now do not have any caribou in, again, Bigfoot Central, Washington State. We do not have any caribou that cross into Washington State, though in your father's and grandfather's lifetime, there were. We don't have any caribou that cross into Idaho, and in your life, lifetime, there were. Agreed. There's plenty of rare wildlife out there to apply... Are you know emotions and science too? You're right, in a constructive fashion. Um, real Laura, quick, real answer, quick. Laura was going to answer. What's next? <laughs> oh, oh, you, you were. I thought you were like not. I actually, I
2: don't know what's next. Oh. I have some ideas that are like very nascent, but they are not ready to be shared with the world. So
0: like you're kicking some stuff around. Yeah,
2: but just, I just need to figure out like if they're even feasible at this point. From a uh, getting access to information.
0: Point of view no i think you ought to do what well never mind
3: <laughs>
2: what never mind. no, no
0: I you idea have to tell me <laughs> you can't start this. So I'll, tell tell me can tell me. Okay. I'll tell you later i'll tell you later oh real quick uh-huh. before you go not yeah. you just other the people oh the people the listeners real quick i got a handful of favors you need to do one go to Uh, TheMeatEater.com, please, and subscribe to our newsletter. That's real important to me for reasons I'll not get into. Go and do that. If you listen uh, on Apple Podcasts, make sure to go in and give this here digital radio program a review. It's simple. Go and click the rightmost star. So you see these little stars lined up? Go to the one furthest to the right and click that star. Um, If you feel like leaving some words, you can do that too. You can even click the rightmost star and then say a bunch of bad stuff about it. As long as you click the right most star, you're, you're in good shape. And um, lots of stuff is now in stock. If you go to uh, our website and go into our store, we have all kinds of stuff in stock, including a bunch of meat-eater podcasts, paraphernalia. You can even get yourself a genuine blouch shirt. Um, we didn't say blouch when we were talking about someone shooting at a Bigfoot, which seems inappropriate. So all that, yeah, do that, and you'll be in good standing with me and Laura Krantz thank you very much for coming on I'll tell you my hot tip okay about what your next show ought to be about okay and um, I look forward to getting a lot of angry emails anyone who's seen a Bigfoot please write in I will share your story on a future episode of the show thanks for listening
2: and thanks for having me on
0: Telling you what, decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up too. You keep your tools and gear organized job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to decked.com slash meat eater. Get yourself some free shipping. This show is sponsored in part by better help. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need. And that meets them where they are. And helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, it's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's better, H E L P.com.